Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. So, Micah Hanks, who has been on the Paracast for a few years, has been regaling us with his British accent that I shall not share with you. It's actually quite good. I don't do accents myself on Graham's spot because you see how bad that is. But I was thinking here about the, the accents and the fact that actors from the UK and Australia constantly play Americans. Think about that. How many people, like in the just-concluded reboot of Hawaii Five-O, the lead actor was Australian. The last Batman before Ben Affleck, Affleck uh, took it over. Christian Bale is Welshman. Commissioner Gordon being, of course, British also. Sounding like Americans. I guess if you want to work in this industry, they are going to dictate how you're supposed to speak. Now, the one exception had been when Scottish actor Peter Capaldi takes the role of Doctor Who and even in instances where other Scottish actors have played that role, like David Tennant before him, they had to kind of adopt for a more Anglo-centric and English audience. Uh, but they didn't do that to Peter Capaldi. You don't do anything to Peter Capaldi. <laughs> so I hear. <laughs> All right. Jody Whittaker has to adapt that accent, too, because hers is, what, north of England or something like that. I, I forget. So. She does, by the way, a killer rendition of the Coldplay song, Yellow. You might have heard. This is available on YouTube, by the way. It's a charitable recording from the BBC. And the backup band is Coldplay. I mean, she backpacked around the world, and she'd bring music, and some of her favorite artists included Coldplay. So it was really interesting. Why are we talking about Doctor Who? I have no idea. But I do think there are lots of things to catch up on, Micah Hanks. I was making a list as we were talking, and the first thing that came up, and it's really not in his recent episodes of Graylian Report, and that is the MUFON follies. I don't know how you could even take MUFON seriously anymore. I mean, over the years, to me, it was just a way for people to get out the word about whether UFOs are ET. Okay, that's okay. That's fine. They collect sightings. The people who work for them are serious. And then we have a couple of their state directors putting out racist screeds over on Facebook. Now we had recently Jan Harzan, their former executive director, executive director meaning he was a paid executive, being arrested for being a pedophile. And then we have him replaced by the former director, the international director, David McDonald who used to sponsor mile-high sex parties aboard airplanes. Micah, what is going on here? Well, you know, full disclosure, I've never been a member of the Mutual UFO Network. One of the saddest things to me about this, and really a lot of the controversies that have kind of haunted and daunted that organization in recent years, is the fact that so much of this ends up overshadowing some of the good work that MUFON has done. And yes, there have been a lot of reports and studies that MUFON has contributed to over the years that have been very useful, very beneficial in expanding our knowledge about the UFO issue. But, uh, you know, when you have these kinds of, again, not only unfortunate, but I think I could come up with much stronger language to use for it. But I mean, these, these really just 
just terrible developments turning up. I mean, it, it really unfortunately seems to be taking public perception of not just the MUFON organization, but to an extent elements of, I think, you know, the UFO culture, you might say. It unfortunately kind of casts all that in a bad light. It's unfortunate, but I think that the most unfortunate part is for especially people like myself who are interested in trying to understand the phenomenon, trying to understand it, apply history and science to it, and, you know, in the furtherance of trying to develop ways that it can be studied and analyzed intelligently, a lot of the good work that MUFON has done over the years is unfortunately overshadowed by this. Now, I don't think that we should forget about that good work, but quite obviously there are going to be some shifts and changes that are going to be necessary. I'm sure this is already underway, but I mean, there's going to have to be a much more proactive effort on the part of MUFON leadership, especially going forward. I think they have to replace their international director. Nobody should be tainted with anything. Not that other organizations don't have people with legal problems or with extreme political viewpoints. Of course they do. This is Earth, and we expect that. But when you're being watched and you're pretending or presenting yourself to be a serious scientific organization, and you have an atmosphere where people regard those who follow UFOs or UAPs as those wearing tinfoil hats, you have to be politically correct. I think Major Kehoe back in the 50s and 60s with NICAP Understood that. Sometimes he went overboard trying to look respectable. I mean, he added military people on there and therefore was criticized as running a CIA cover up because one of the people he had was his former Annapolis classmate, the first head of the CIA. But forgetting that, he understood the politics. MUFON doesn't get the politics. And so anything that happens is not just going to be frowned on. It's going to make us all look worse because we're tainted. Yeah, I think that's fair. You know, I spent a lot of time recently looking back at some of the press conferences, you know, back in the day when NICAP was the preeminent, maybe really, no, there, there were others. There was April, of course, but, you know, NICAP really had kind of risen to a position of prominence as far as investigative civilian committees that were looking at the UFO issue. And you remember the the famous press conference where there's Kehoe and Dr. Um, McDonald is there and, you know, many others are sitting there at the press club and they're addressing the media about all of this. And the way that they tried to carry themselves, you're right, again, there was a very much a, a different air. Some might argue it wasn't per se sophisticated. They definitely tried to have that sort of appearance. You know, Kehoe, if you listen to recordings of him and you compare his pattern of speech to his writing style – some might say that his writing style was a little over the top, and and when he spoke, maybe it was a little less so. It was actually, if anything, quite the opposite. He had kind of a, a calming, sort of almost charming, but sort of lazy speech pattern. And so there was this interesting blend of things going on there with NICAP, but you never saw them haunted by controversies. You know, coming back to MUFON for a moment, Gene. Just want to throw this out before you go back to MUFON about Kehoe. Yeah. I met Kehoe. I heard Kehoe on the radio. And I agree, it was kind of a calming influence, but it had that, I would say, the atmosphere of hearing from a guy who was a soldier. Oh, yeah. Definitely demeanor of a soldier, but he was also a pulp mystery writer. <laughs> and when he wrote his UFO books, he wrote it in the same vein. This is a mystery story. He had the recreated dialogue. 
minimal descriptions, more dialogue than description. It was a classic mystery story. And that was good or bad. It made it very readable. In fact, if you remember Captain Ruppelt's book, The Report on Unidentified Flying Objects, was written in very much similar style, which tells me that Kehoe had a lot to do with helping with the editing. Had to oh, be. yeah. Yeah, that's that's important. And by the way, on a on a side note, I've got to add, since you're uh, implying, of course, Kehoe's involvement with Ruppelt's book, because I've often thought about that. I've, I've often thought, wow, Ruppelt did a really good job with this book. He must have had a really good editor and or maybe a ghostwriter. But uh, there was a funny photograph from one of John Keel's newsletter, uh, newsletters that I found recently over there at johnkeel.com that Doug Skinner runs. And the photo had been captured. It was Keel standing there with Jacques Vallée. And I don't know if you've seen this photograph, Gene, but the caption reads, John, oh, I'm sorry, it was Jacques Vallée and one of his ghost riders. <laughs> yeah. So that was uh, a little of the Keelian humor. Let's do our break and we'll come back to it. Micah Hanks okay. of the Graylian Report. And we're going to talk about a few of the things he's brought up. In fact, that he dropped John Keel in there. We're going to go into that next. We've got more to come with Gene and Randall. You're in. The Paracast. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. Attention radio listeners, have you ever wanted to be independent of the utility companies and actually generate your own supply of off-grid electrical power? If so, this is going to be the most important message you'll ever hear. Here's why. A limited number of solar-powered backup generators are back in stock and now available. These emergency backup systems provide life-saving electrical power when you need it most. And unlike gas generators, a solar generator runs quietly, emits no fumes, and produces an endless supply of free electricity from the sun. It's like having an electric power plant running silently, secretly, in your own home. Run sump pumps, shortwave radios, computers, even keep food from spoiling. Go to MySolarBackup.com to learn more. That's MySolarBackup.com. Supplies are still limited and are available on a first-come, first-served basis only. MySolarBackup.com 
complement your health with hemp-derived cannabinoid oil. We've always believed that the closer to Earth, the better it is for our bodies. Our hemp-derived cannabinoid oil is phytocannabinoid-rich, full-spectrum, and organically grown. Finally, hemp made easy, clean, and effective. GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. That's right. We cut through the red tape. It's now available at GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. Get healthy, not high, with 100% pure CBD, powerful natural pain relief from Veterans Vitality. GCN listeners, have you ever thought about how CBD may help you? I'm sure you have heard about the many benefits of CBD. Well, here's your opportunity to try before you buy. Created by veterans and for everyone who deserves better choices, our CBD is derived from organic hemp, grown in the USA, and third-party tested. Veterans Vitality CBD saves you as much as 25 to 50% over our competition, and a portion of all sales is contributed to veteran nonprofits and events. Many of our customers have experienced improved quality of life, help with anxiety, PTSD, and overall well-being. Our products do not contain THC. They are safe, non-addictive, effective, and 100% legal. GCN listeners, get your free trial bottle of premium CBD by simply paying shipping and handling at GCNFreeCBD.com. That's GCNFreeCBD.com. Again, GCNFreeCBD.com. Offered by Veterans Vitality Premium CBD. Do the letters IRS give you anxiety? I'm Dan Pilla. I've defended people from the IRS for more than 40 years. My book, How to Get Tax Amnesty, created the tax resolution industry and is responsible for helping hundreds of thousands of people. It can help you, too. If you're a non-filer or facing IRS enforcement right now, your case is unique. You need real help, not cookie-cutter advice. My clients get my personal attention. Buy my book at danpilla.com and get a free consultation directly with me. That's danpilla.com. Let's start solving your tax problem right now. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. You see, Randall was only here by echo. Ha. Well, hello, hello. No, it was dialing in via satellite, I understand. By the way, hello, Randall. I hadn't officially yet said hello to you. It's good to be on the mic with you, brother. Yeah, I'm feeling like an echo of my former self. Uh, yeah, no, it's really great to have you back, Micah, for sure. So I'm going to just let you and Gene talk a little bit here while I figure out something useful to say. And uh, yeah, just been looking forward to the show all week. So you guys just uh, go for it. Perfect. Well, of course, John Keel. Let's talk about him briefly because you mentioned it. You threw it out there that John Keel. John Keel had, if you have a private email or published any of it, as I have done, really a really, really wacky sense of humor. We don't see it so much in his books, but it was there. And it was fascinating to behold that. And there's a show you did just a couple of weeks back called John Keel and the Men in Black. And when you think of the men in black, and I want to ask you more about Keel connection, we go back to Gray Barker, because Gray Barker wrote they knew too much about flying saucers. And that told the story of Albert K. Bender and other instances where people allegedly were silenced by the men in black. And the reason I mention it is because our staff announcer, Bob Zanotti, and I have been talking about bringing back more voices of the past from his radio show of the 60s. He was at a college radio station and did a show called Coffee Clutch, which was one of the early paranormal radio shows. 
it was heard in and around the New York area. Now, he has a lot of the original recordings that he's transferred to digital, and some of them feature Gray Barker. Of course, Gray Barker telling a lot of the fascinating stories that he became famous for, and we're going to play some of those on the Paracast, maybe offer full episodes for those who subscribe to the Paracast Plus. That's coming. So that will be fascinating to look forward to. I mean, how many people nowadays even know what Gray Barker sounded like? They probably know what John Keel sounded like, or maybe not. In any case, tell us about John Keel. Yeah, John was really kind of a trailblazer, an interesting guy, a mixed bag, and I think at times often misunderstood. I always just liked when you mention his speech pattern, in addition to his sense of humor. And again, for people like me, especially if you look at the eloquence of Jacques Vallée and his writing, and actually, you know, again, a second language English speaker being from France, uh, nonetheless, with a mastery of English and able to write the way that he does, that Kiel would refer to himself jokingly as a ghostwriter for Vallée. It was it bespoke a couple of things there, uh, both Keel's sense of humor, but also sort of the strange relationship that he and Valet had because, you know, many will point out they didn't always get along. But if you notice in Keel's writings and in Valet's, they both reference one another in a fairly sterile way, but nonetheless in a way that you can tell that they did have some mutual appreciation. You know, as far as John Keel goes and who he was, I think it's pretty evident why that became the case because – after traveling throughout the Orient and then coming back home in his 20s, I believe, he wrote the book Jadu, which is a fantastic book, and I highly re- uh, recommend that people actually read that. I think you can still get it from Anomalous Books. Patrick Weege makes that available. But you know his better-known books are The Mothman Prophecies, of course. But then there was a book after that. There were actually other books, too. But, I mean, after that, he wrote in the same year a book titled The Eighth Tower. And in The Eighth Tower, Keel kind of moves away from a – Not that he was ever necessarily really a nuts-and-bolts UFO guy, but he really moves away from that and starts adopting what most would call a more occult approach. Some have even referred to it as a demonological kind of approach toward UFOs. Now, I don't think that's inaccurate, especially if you read The Eighth Tower. He absolutely seems to kind of take a almost parapsychological approach to studying UFOs. It's also fair to say that Keel had been working on sort of a UFO encyclopedia, and he had a a number of little cards that he was keeping like in a Rolodex with entries that would be in this encyclopedia. He never ended up publishing this, but these were still in his files, and when he passed away and Doug Skinner obtained these files, and occasionally he posts these on the website johnkeel.com, which is fantastic, comes highly recommended. It's a blog just devoted to Keel's old letters, documents, and correspondences. Occasionally, Doug has dipped into the entries for the encyclopedia. And in one of those, we see Keel's definition for what he called an ultra-terrestrial. Now, a lot of folks have pointed out the fact that this was a kind of term that Keel used. He actually borrowed that term, I think, from Mead Lane, if memory serves. But he applied that to the UFO phenomenon. And most people took that to mean something along the lines of interdimensional, right? But Keel's definition of what a a so-called ultra-terrestrial was supposed to be, was something a little different. He describes an ultra-terrestrial as, quote, related to this Earth, but set apart from it by unusual physical characteristics, neither superior or inferior to the human race, but different. Again, that doesn't really sound like ghosts, goblins, you know, or something parapsychological. Keel's own definition of 
ultra-terrestrial almost seemed to be more like what the late Mac Tonys would have called a crypto-terrestrial. You know, Keel, right or wrong, again, looking at the so-called men in black phenomenon, I think his whole premise was that the UFO phenomena very well may emanate from Earth. And this quote-unquote ultra-terrestrial, not inferior or superior to, but just different from humans, exists right here along us. Maybe the men in black are part of that. I really think that that's essentially Keel's main thrust as far as the men in black and the broader UFO phenomena went, although he definitely did incorporate elements of what we would identify as occult or demonological interpretations into that sort of mythos that he built around. And you got to hand it to him. It was a very unique interpretation of ufology. I remember when we first met John Keel. I think this may have been the time that he was assigned to do an article on UFOs for Playboy. Remember, Playboy then and now didn't just publish fancy pictures of women. It ran various serious articles. And they came over to Jim Mosley's offices at 303 Fifth Avenue in New York. And that's when we first heard of him. And then a few years later, suddenly we're reading... Our Haunted Planet, and all the other books that he did, Operation Trojan Horse, yeah, and of course Mothman Prophecies. But back then, it was just some writer. Interesting. Yeah, but you know, about that Playboy article, again, that was, you might say, sort of a game changer in terms of where Keel's interest in UFOs would go because he had wanted to write what he considered at the time was going to be the definitive article on UFOs and appearing in all places in Playboy magazine. How about that? Oh, yeah. I don't even remember what the article was about, or even if I even read the article. I don't know if I've ever actually read it myself, to tell you the truth. I've, I've seen a lot of references to it over the years, although I'm certain that it is available someplace online, as are a lot of those classic articles by Donald Kehoe. Again, if we're going to talk about articles that are uh, particularly formative. Again, sadly, I don't know if Keel's article on UFOs, when I say it was going to be the definitive article on UFOs, that's what Keel was kind of aiming to do with it. But if you look at, for instance, uh, I believe it was the Look magazine article written by Kehoe, right? About flying saucers, you know, this sort of a game changer in the history of, well, I should say the public perception of the phenomenon. We're going to look at some other game changers and be back with Micah Hanks and Gene and Randall. You're in the Paracast. You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Silver has always been nature's very own antibiotic, and only one system allows you to generate an endless supply of natural silver solutions. Silverlungs.com. You'll find no wild claims or pseudoscience, just a lifetime of nano-sized pure silver solutions. The Silver Lungs generator allows you to make your own, so stop paying for silver solutions. The unique lung delivery system targets respiratory infections where other silver solutions simply cannot reach. See the Silver Lungs generator and lung delivery system at Silverlungs.com. That's Silverlungs.com. Do you want to give you and your loved ones premium nutrition right now? Hi, I'm Jamil Bookaboo from TeamGaday.com and the GCN Longevity Health Team. Get your premium nutrition formulated by world-renowned naturopathic doctor, Dr. Joel Wallach at Wholesale, or also become a distributor and earn income while supporting this broadcast. Go to TeamGaday.com via the shopping cart or contact form, and I'll get back to you with support personally. That's TeamGaday.com with Longevity. TeamGaday.com.
USA Radio News with Wendy King. A record-breaking heat wave is crippling most of the West. National Weather Service meteorologist Josh Weiss has details. Maybe Wednesday the 19th, but really by Thursday and Friday of next week, some of that heat will start to abate pretty much everywhere but the far desert southwest. Rolling power outages were ordered Friday night in California. Cooling centers have been set up in many cities to help residents get out of the heat, but they're more restrictive due to the pandemic. KNX reporter Margaret Carrero. In light of the coronavirus pandemic, safety measures will be in place, such as extensive cleaning of the centers and physical distancing. They're designated seats, so the seats are based apart with the social distancing practices. Kevin McGowan, director of L.A. County's Office of Emergency Management, says face masks will be required and people will be asked to self-assess for symptoms. This is USA Radio News. President Trump hasn't changed his mind about funding the Postal Service. USA Radio's Kenneth Burns has details. President Trump is doubling down on his threat to withhold funding from the Postal Service. It comes as Thomas Marshall, General Counsel and Executive Vice President of the USPS, warned 40 states that state deadlines to request, return, and count ballots may clash with the realities of mail delivery. The president's threat is now tied with his coronavirus relief package. Would you be willing to accept the $25 billion for the Postal Service, including the $3.5 billion? Sure, they give us what we want. And so what I want is what the American people want. Former President Obama has accused his successor of trying to suppress the vote. What we've never seen before is a president say, I'm going to try to actively kneecap the Postal Service. (laughs) to encourage voting, and I will be explicit about the reason I'm doing it. For USA Radio News, I'm Kenneth Burns. You're listening to USA Radio News. Hello? Congratulations. For what? For losing all that weight. How'd you do it so fast? ASAP. ASAP what? What's that mean? Are you ready to get as skinny as possible, as soon as possible, as simple as possible, and as sexy as possible? I'm listening. Then get with the ASAP program. It's real and it works. No smooth talk, no slick advertising, and no exaggerated claims of success. I've got to know more. Welcome to ASAP, as slim as possible. Whether you have 10, 20, or 50 pounds to lose, ASAP is your weight loss answer. ASAP targets the abnormal fat reserves and makes them available to be burned as fuel and contains no caffeine or hormones. Order ASAP at wholesale prices or join the team to share the business with others. Go to GCNteam.com or call 855-GCN-MALL. That's 855-426-6255. GCNteam.com or 855-426-6255. Lose weight and look great with ASAP as slim as possible. Hi, this is James Fox. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. So from John Keel, we go into Game Changer articles. Micah Hanks, tell us more. Donald Kehoe, early on, if we're talking about writers who have really had a tremendous influence on public perception of the phenomenon, I think that's one of Keel's contributions to the field. But again, he was not just a UFO researcher. He also kind of dabbled in Fortiana. One of his books we haven't mentioned was Strange Creatures from Time and Space. So, of course, he also sort of dabbled in cryptozoology and all these things and really tried to sort of marry all these subjects together. And hence why I think that many people see him more as an occult writer. You couldn't say the same of of Donald Kehoe. On the other hand, Donald Kehoe, former military man, science fiction writer, and a pretty good one, yes, but, I mean, he was a hardline UFO researcher. 
And it was Kehoe's early articles on UFOs that I think ended up being a tremendous influence on public perception of the phenomena. I may have said look earlier. I mean True Magazine. This is the famous January 1950 article that I'm talking about, although I think he probably also wrote for Look. The one you're talking about also preceded his first book. It did, yeah. This was yeah, this is one of the first lengthy articles that he published in which Kehoe kind of gives us the best evidence. I think he talks about the Mantell incident in this article, but he's also essentially trying to make the argument that look, whatever this phenomenon is, I think it's extraterrestrial. And here's the evidence. So that's kind of the thrust of the article. And it had a tremendous effect. I think that not only did it really kind of steer the narrative in terms of that becoming the leading hypothesis and would probably remain so all the way up at least until the University of Colorado project in the late 60s, but it also brought, I think, broader public attention to the UFO topic, more generally speaking. Up until that time, people knew about it. Some people were very anxious about it. There was, of course, concern that maybe there was a Russian phenomenon going on. We had some sort of experimental aircraft. Maybe, hopefully, it's some of our own stuff. But then again, if that's the case, why is the Air Force investigating? Keeping in mind, of course, this is in the early days before Project Blue Book, but there were two existing studies prior to that as well, Sign and Grudge. But yeah, with Kehoe writing this article for a popular publication, True Magazine was one of those that really had a fairly wide distribution. I think it actually grew in response to this article going to print. That That's what how big a splash this was, and it really was kind of a game changer in terms of public perception of the UFO phenomenon. It's funny, when you look at the library of Donald Kehoe over at Amazon, you see his characters, Captain Philip Strange... Richard Knight. These were the pulp stories he wrote over the years. A whole bunch of them. He wrote more stories like that, I think, than he actually wrote books about UFOs. Although he did Aliens from Space, he did Flying Saucers from Outer Space, his original one that I think right now is public domain. He did Flying Saucer Conspiracy and Flying Saucers Top Secret. Yeah, a lot of books over the years. But again, looking at those similarities... As we're contrasting Keel and Kehoe, Keel also did a lot of writing, not only as far as writing everything from kind of trashy novels and sci-fi, but he also did some writing for television. He wrote under a pseudonym. One of them was Harry Gibbs, and then there was another one that was even harder to try and remember. Yeah, Keel did a lot of different writing over the years about different subjects. And again, I think that's kind of what you do. You're a newspaper guy, and you write what sells. You write what you can to pay the bills, right? You have to make a living. You see, it's funny that when we get to someone like Kevin Randall, former military guy, writes sci-fi. Yep. But because of that, some people put down his UFO book, so he's writing sci-fi. How could he get away with that? Well, Kehoe was writing fiction long before he wrote factual articles and books about UFOs and had an ICAP. He was writing fiction. I didn't see the same kind of attack. But I wanted to dovetail here from John Keel to the legends of the men in black. Yes. Yeah, the men in black, again, like you mentioned earlier, Gray Barker really, I think, is the guy who probably introduces this. Again, unfortunately, the, the, the current generation may never have heard of the book, but they knew too much about flying saucers. This was a book that was, again, the sensational title, the sensational imagery it really kind of presented this captivating story of not just Albert Bender, but again, it, it kind of presents this meme 
of the men in black, these mysterious strangers, people who intimidate UFO witnesses. There, there's a little controversy there because, of course, as you know, Gray Barker was a rather complex character. Many have actually pointed out the fact that Barker seemed less inclined toward believing a lot of the stories that he wrote and downright fabricated certain things because he knew that these stories would sell. At times, Barker also kind of played an agent provocateur in the sense that he liked to send bogus letters and things to other researchers. For instance, John Keel. Now, in John Keel's files, he had a lot of weird notes, weird letters that he had received. In fact, he had a whole file on anomalous mail, and there was going to be an entry about that in the never-published uh, encyclopedia he was working on. But anomalous letters that he would receive included letters that had this ominous-looking letterhead that would say something like, The International Bankers, and it would have this equally ominous note. And Keel had actually conducted a fair amount of analysis of the letters, the content, the writing style, and noted a number of tropes of these sorts of letters, which included everything from what appear to be intentional misspellings, redundancies, things like that, you know, the appearance of numbers like the number three or the number six, things along those lines. He also suspected strongly that Gray Barker had been one of those people who was sending these anomalous letters to either confuse or intimidate or to try and in some other way disrupt the investigative community and the other writers that were involved in the UFO scene at that time. So this is kind of where the origins of the, uh, the Men in Black story begin is with this guy who in many ways we might say operated a lot like an MIB or even a counterintelligence agent himself, but seemed to do so uh, more for his own entertainment, if, if anything. And, uh, you know, and that wasn't really something that only Barker did. The late Jim Mosley also was known for having a rather peculiar sense of humor and at times kind of stirring the pot a little as well. But, oh, yes. Well, Jim was on the Paracast first episode. It wow. was on many times then till actually just a few months before his death. And yeah, he was a pot stirrer way back. He and Gray Barker became close friends and they worked together, first yeah. pretending to be engaged in some kind of feud, which, of course, was a big joke. And then doing some stuff behind the scenes in terms of hoaxes. There's a book called Shockingly Close to the Truth from the early 2000s where Jim confesses about some of the deeds he did. Yeah. And it's funny in hindsight to go back and to look at some of the writing from that period, including some Akeels, where it's strongly implied that some of the things that are being written about actually could be chalked up to the kind of, of pranksters that uh, Mosley and, and Barker were behind the scenes. But, you know, again, if we look back, though, in a historical review of Keel's files, he also wrote about that. And he strongly suspected that Barker was involved in these sort of things. So he wasn't completely blind to that. He wasn't ignorant of that fact. But what Keel also did was he went on to write more, I think, seriously about what he thought to be credible reports involving these so-called men in black. It's kind of funny that the way that Keel writes about them, they aren't these mysterious people. They aren't always dressed in black. They weren't the kind of men in black of Gray Barker. If we remember from the Mothman prophecies, there's one famous instance involving a guy called Tiny. He's a very large guy. He's particularly sweaty and kind of strange. He has a penchant for drinking. And, and I'm not talking about Kool-Aid kids. He wears like a Russian fur hat. He's just a really peculiar character. And Keel includes a section in Mothman Prophecies talking about a, a family, I believe, that had been visited by this character, Tiny. It later turns up 
in some of Keel's correspondence with British researchers that they had received a visit from him too and knew this character actually by name, although the name's redacted. I think Doug Skinner removes it from the correspondences to protect his identity. But this individual seems to have been known, and they say this really sounds like the guy you call Tiny in your book. So Skinner kind of makes the argument that actually some of the weird characters that Keel wrote about and called Men in Black very well likely may have just been disturbed ufologists. Ufologists who might have been suffering from any number of conditions or might have just had a little social anxiety going on. Let us go on with more of these and then back with Micah Hanks. More to come with Gene and Randall. You're in the Paracast. for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. We also have swag. You know, we have all these exclusive Paracast things that you can buy. We've got like, I guess, 60 or so different items and entails T-shirts, sleeves for notebook computers, iPad cases, mouse pads, the Paracast jumbo tote bag, all sorts of T-shirts and jackets and stuff like that for men and women. We have a Paracast aluminum water bottle. All this stuff, you go to store.theparacast.com, store.theparacast.com. What makes it special is that the items are the best quality, you know, great T-shirts, fabrics, and they have our official logo on them. That's what makes them special in multiple sizes and colors. We even have stuff for children, stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes, like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the Paracast. You go to store.theparacast.com, stop by, and take a shopping tour. Frustrated trying to get business capital? Want to take the slow process and rejection out of the equation? GCNloans.com removes the slow, irritating approval process. Instead, get quick, simple funding. Powered by David Allen Capital, 80% of our pre-qualified clients are approved in days. Pre-qualify at GCNloans.com and get your money this week. It's that easy. GCNloans.com. That's GCNloans.com. You've seen crazy diets to lose weight. At GCN Team, our healthy body weight loss system simply neutrifies the body, bringing down cravings. It has been proven that nutritional deficiencies drive appetite for carbs, sugars, and fats. Lose weight the easy way. Find us at GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. Fighting cravings is a fool's game. Give the body what it needs to be satisfied. Again, 877-878-4203. That's 877-878-4203. I'm here with Scott Uceum, founder of OMG Tax. Tell us how your company helps our listeners out there who have a problem with the IRS. My team of lawyers, enrolled agents, and licensed tax experts remove wage garnishments sometimes in the same day. We even have reduced the total debt some of our clients were required to pay through what is known as an offer in compromise. Can you give us an example of somebody you help? Oh, can I ever? We have taken a $500,000 liability with the IRS. Guess what? The client didn't pay a dime through the representation known as non-collectible status with the government. If you owe the IRS more than $10,000 and you want to see if it's possible to pay a lot less, call OMG Tax right now for a free tax-saving consultation. Call 800-486-8112. 800-486-8112. 800-486-8112. That's 800-486-8112. 
There's so much hand sanitizer on the market, but beware, not all hand sanitizers are created equal. That's why you want to use 2020 Safe Hand Sanitizer. You can trust the hand sanitizer on 2020safe.net to be made with the highest quality ingredients, American-made, with American ingredients, employing Americans. Log on now to 2020safe.net and order your one liter today. Normally $29.99, but reduced to $19.99. So hurry while supplies last and receive a bonus. That's right. You'll receive a 30-count bottle of Immune Booster, a $39.95 value, free, by using code GCN at checkout. Right now, click 2020safe.net. That's 2020safe.net to get our one-liter bottle of high-quality hand sanitizer with your free bonus. A 30-count bottle of Immune Booster, valued at $39.95. Remember to enter GCN at checkout. And the bonus is yours, free, 2020safe.net. This is Jacques Vallée, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. So Micah Hanks of the Grelian Report rejoins us after an absence of a number of years where he was buried underground in a secret base going to other planets with a stargate. That's true. Yeah. I was going to say, I I don't know who briefed you, Gene, but yeah, I I was actually, what happened was I was being held captive by the Darrows. That's true. That's right, the old shaver mystery. But I I managed to escape with the help of the friendly Tarot's and uh, made my way above ground yet again. And and now that I'm above ground, you know, there have been a lot of updates. The Graylian Report, of course, the long-running website is still there. My podcast, although, has departed and taken a slightly different approach with a new name. It's now the Micah Hanks Program it focuses mostly on ufology, but about every fourth or fifth episode, I try to mix things up a little. But, you know, with the current kind of climate as it relates to all the developments happening, the Pentagon releasing videos, all this stuff, I have gone more in that direction with my research. And there will be some, you know, some other things to come in the next few years. And unfortunately, I, that, that may cause me to have to go back underground for a while, but I'll be sure not to make it quite as long a departure as this last one has been. So it's good to be back with you guys. I have to ask you how it feels to go into that Stargate, though compassed by that watery mist and suddenly you find yourself in another galaxy well just imagine swimming through peanut butter very very warm peanut butter it's a lot like that not really a pleasant feeling organic peanut butter or the stuff with all the extra additives the really chunky kind gene oh yes let's ride peanut butter is that what really happened to james (laughs) spader in the original movie stargate I don't you know. You see him enter sure. the Stargate for the first time, and on the other side, he becomes, no, we don't want to hear about that. When we get to the men in black, we think, are they or were they really agents or people vying to cover up UFOs or mix in with them a bunch of cranks or what? Or maybe even strange entities. You know, it may have been a little of all of the above. Another of those accounts that Keel shares in the Mothman prophecies involves this kid, really, who shows up and is asking questions at the office of Mary Heyer. Uh, yet again, not a man in black per se. This individual, of memory serves, was wearing a blue shirt. I think a T-shirt at that. And famously grabs an ink pen off of Mrs. Heyer's desk and looks at it as though he's never beheld the wonder that is an ink pen and just 
acts really strange and kind of out of this world. And I think yet again that although Keel maybe never explicitly says men in black are the ultra-terrestrials, they are from Earth, they're like us, but somehow different, you know, it's strongly implied that he equates the men in black to being more akin to the actual, what would you call them, saucerians, than being government agents who are on the trail of people who have seen flying saucers. Again, this is kind of where Keel's Men in Black diverge a little from the traditional narrative, although there was a little of that with Gray Barker's early writings on it too. But I think in more recent years, more people are inclined to look at the Men in Black as probably being agents of some division of the U.S. government who are out there trying to silence UFO witnesses. And you know maybe that aspect of this mythos was more kind of popularized uh, with the popularity of the Roswell incident and researchers who were following that, uh, including the late Stanton Friedman and a number of uh, of others. So, uh, you know, in those stories, you know, where you've got, uh, you know, people who have been visited by, again, supposedly Air Force employees and told, you know, to be quiet or not to talk about this or that. Uh, I believe it was Glenn Davis, right, the, uh, the, the, the mortician there at the local funeral home. And he had said that at one point, one of these Air Force officials, quite obviously, people there on the actual local air base. So, I mean, these weren't guys in black suits that visit him. But nonetheless, what he took to be government employees who had told him, you know, it would take him along. What was it that, that he was told? He was threatened and said, you know, the, the, the buzzards will pick your bones or something along those lines. It'll take him a long time to find you if we put you out there in the desert or whatever. So now some of the aspects of his story, though, also over the years have kind of fallen apart. Um, that has been pointed out by Kevin Randall and a, a number of others. And unfortunately, this has also kind of cast some doubt on some of the key witnesses to the Roswell thing. But nonetheless, my point is, I think that some of the interest in that case and the, you know, the attention that those narratives about harassment or intimidation, the way that that was portrayed, again, popular TV shows like Unsolved Mysteries definitely kind of played that up and seemed to bring more attention to this angle that there's a government component where government employees are showing up and questioning people. Now, it's not to say that that wasn't something that turned up in Keel's writing, too. Yet again, in the second chapter of the Mothman Prophecies, it's very important to, uh, important to point out that there is a situation where a woman is visited by a man who claimed to be an Air Force agent, and he even gave her his name. He said, my name is Richard French. Now, Keel explicitly says in that chapter that Richard French was an imposter like so many others who have been going around the United States and talking to UFO witnesses. Yet again, he wore a gray suit, and it was civilian clothing, even though he had identified himself as being an uh, Air Force, uh, probably would have been a major, I guess, at the time. But what's interesting is that a lieutenant colonel, Richard French, does turn up many decades later. He, in fact, actually appeared at the citizens' hearing on UFO disclosure back in 2013. And French now claims that he worked for the Office of Special Investigations. He was an Air Force employee between 1952 and about 1975, I believe. And French said that he actually worked as a debunker and worked with the Blue Book program during the Blue Book years. And so during the time period that he would have appeared in Keel's book, The Mothman Prophecies, we now know that a guy named Richard French certainly did work for the U.S. Air Force, and he very well could have been actually involved in Blue Book in some capacity. But the problem is, is that there are a lot of holes in the stories that he's told. Yet again, Kevin Randall has done a fantastic job pointing out some of the inconsistencies and the downright falsehoods that must exist in some of the stories that Richard French has told. 
whether or not we believe every story he tells now, we can certainly say that one of the MIBs that Keel called an imposter was actually an Air Force agent. Why he was asking people questions about UFOs, we may not know. But again, if he said he worked for Project Blue Book, that might explain it. Well, we have to also think of other characters, such as Richard Doty. Yeah. The infamous Richard Doty. By the way, if you look at the Paracast archives on our site, thepowercast.com, we have an interview with Richard Doty. All I can say is set your belief systems aside. Suspend your disbelief before you listen to this guy. Well, that was actually a really good interview. While we're on the topic of the MIB here, I'd just like to jump in with a couple of ideas here. Now, okay, we know that Blue Book did have a liaison with the FBI, and the FBI were known to have the dark suits. And they did go around and and check on people's backgrounds and stuff for the Air Force as part of their normal investigations. Okay, so maybe that's where it started. We also kind of know that the phenomena tends to mirror the worldview of the experiencer in a way. Now, in this case, it seems to be almost mirroring the cultural worldview of the phenomena, where instead of just, it's just an individual who has a particular belief system, who sees something and goes, okay, well, I'm seeing that because it fits this particular belief system, like, Micah, you mentioned earlier, that people look at it, uh, in some cases, from the point of view of demons or or religious or some other way than technological, as in some aliens from another star system traveling here. But with the MIB, it gets weirder than that. Uh, I had an MIB experience where this black Cadillac came down from out of the side of a mountain, I don't know how, and went right across the road in front of me and then kept on going down the side of the mountain. And there was no road there. So, I mean, how do we explain that? And there's other weird ones, too, where these Cadillacs have been seen being almost beamed up into a ship. So, we've got this really bizarre aspect to the MIB that doesn't fit any terrestrial explanation. Yeah, there's that aspect uh, to it, Randall. Uh, Berthold Schwartz wrote a very interesting book on UFOs, a number of years ago, and it was titled UFO Dynamics. But he's kind of looking at the, again, I think the term that he uses is the psychical aspects of the UFO phenomenon. But uh, being, again, a a practicing psychiatrist himself, um, I took that to mean that he was looking at the, both the, again, the clinical kind of psychological side of it, but then also certain aspects that are more akin to psychic research and the occult. There's certainly a lot of that sort of thing in the book, And um, it it makes for a very interesting analysis. Now, in the book, he recounts a story about a man who was visited by an alleged MIB, for lack of a better term. And this was one of those stories that's just, again, beyond bizarre. We have something else beyond bizarre right here and right now. And by the way, Micah Hanks, not being bizarre, will be also hanging out with us for after the Paracast for you subscribers to the Paracast Plus. More to come with Micah, Gene, and Randall. You're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. 
A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Tehebo Tea Club's original Pure Pau Arco Super Tea helps build the red corpuscles in the blood which carry oxygen to our organs and cells. Our organs and cells need oxygen to regenerate themselves. The immune system needs oxygen to develop, and cancer dies in oxygen. So the tea is great for healthy people, and it can truly be miraculous for someone fighting a potentially life-threatening disease due to an infection, diabetes, or cancer. A one-pound package of tea is $34.95 plus shipping. To order, please visit shopsupertea.com. That's shop, S-H-O-P, super, S-U-P-E-R-T-T-E-A dot com. So the complete website is shopsupertea.com or call us at 818-984-6100, Monday through Saturday, 9 to 5 California time. That's shopsupertea.com at 818-984-6100. <laughs> Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Bertold Eric Schwartz, psychiatrist. I met him a few times in the early days, by the way. He seemed like a pretty nice guy. Oh, yeah? What was he like? You know, we're talking about brief conversations. Yeah. So it's really hard to assess the guy. But go on, yeah. please. Well, you know, on that subject with Schwartz, he told a story in that book that I mentioned, UFO Dynamics, where a researcher had been visited by a, again, for lack of a better term, a man in black, but it was anything but a government agent. It was a man in a black suit. He comes inside. The guy had ghastly pale skin, and he removes his hat, and he also appears to be bald. And I'm thinking at this point, it must be Nick Redfern, this guy, Matt. But... (laughs) At that point, he says that the man starts to kind of speak to him about a UFO investigation that this man, the actual clinical practitioner himself, had been investigating. His family had not been at home at the time. He was there by himself. He says at one point, this MIB, I think, actually had been wearing gloves, too, and takes off the gloves. And at one point kind of, you know, moves his hand toward his face in a gesture and kind of rubs it against the his lips and it gives the impression i think that you know he, this guy in addition to having this ghastly pale white skin also was wearing lipstick so he appeared to be wearing makeup of some kind okay it was friend. really actor tim curry yes again I, I maintain it still could have possibly been nick redfern anyway and i say that in love by the way nick and i are good pals but and of course nick has written a lot about men in black and is no stranger to weird stories like you know these so I, he's probably covered this one at some point At one point, the MIB 
tells the observer to reach into his pocket and he says, take the coin that's in your pocket and hold that in your hand. And as he pulls his hand out of his pocket with the coin, he's thinking, of course, you know, how does this guy know that I had this coin in my pocket? And he says that the coin begins to kind of spin very quickly and then kind of turns blue and fuzzy and vanishes. And the MIB tells him that this is what had happened to, if memory serves, it had been Barney Hill. He says that's that's what happened to him. That's why he died at such a young age. And it will happen to you, too, if you keep talking about this case. Now, you know, make of that story what you will. But quite obviously, if that is entirely true, it certainly is something beyond the normal kind of experience with people being met by someone claiming to be with the government and told, don't talk about the UFO that you saw. Yet again, that's a lot more, I think, in the sort of realm in which John Keel was dealing with this. And again, he had often said, I think he actually wrote this in the Eighth Tower, my chances of ever catching a flying saucer aren't very good, but these big black automobiles, I might be able to chase one of those down and run them off the road. And so he thought, you know, that's going to be my better option in terms of trying to get to the bottom of what this is all about. But he said he never did have the opportunity. He tried, but he never met the men in black. Yeah, good luck trying to run them off the road in in whatever those things that they're driving are. I mean, they look like a Cadillac in a lot of cases, or and they're or they're usually some sort of black official governmenty type looking car. But even the one I saw back in the seventies, it was the classic black Cadillac with the big fins on the back. I mean, like I said, there was no road where this thing was going. So I don't know exactly what it was, but it wasn't government agents. I don't think that they have that kind of technology. I don't think we're dealing with MIB, like the movie type MID car that can go upside down and do all of the crazy things that it does. I just don't think that we have that. Where does that leave us? It it kind of suggests that if you're a believer in alien visitation, that they are monitoring our studying of them and then mirroring it back to us with these elements thrown in that we put in there ourselves. Yeah, there's definitely a very odd side to all of it from over the decades, you know, where and and some would actually extend that back even further because one interpretation of the men in black and yet again, Kill also acknowledged this. He did talk about this aspect of it that the men in black are almost like a modern portrayal of the kinds of encounters with mysterious strangers or even the devil that we hear about from the ancient past, from antiquity even. And it's sort of a cultural, often with a more you know explicitly religious overtone in ages past, but it does seem to be a sort of cultural staple that even actually transcends different cultural manifestations over time. The stranger in black and the eerie visit that you get often at night – now, there are also some stories that are really interesting that Keel told along those lines in terms of this being a phenomenon that's broader than just modern ufology, which, you know, I kind of have a problem with modern ufology, the idea that this all begins in 1947 anyway. I mean, for those who say the modern UFO era began in 1947, we have to remember, of course, and I'm certainly by no means the only commentator to point this out. Many, many, many have. But let's not forget about the Foo Fighters during the Second World War. And in truth... There are decades of similar reports, although flying saucer or UFO, the modern terminology that we use didn't exist, but Charles Fort certainly wrote about aerial mysteries 
We can go back to the 1890s airships. We can go back beyond that, and we can see astronomical observations of weird spindle-like objects that were occurring throughout the 19th century. We can go back to the 17 and the 1600s, even before that, and we see the signs, the portents, the prodigies that uh, appeared in or over England and also other parts of Europe during that period. Valet and Albeck have looked all the way back in time, and they've looked at you know expressions of religious visions and things along those lines as possible precursors, cultural precursors to modern UFO reports. And again, you really have to be careful making explicit connections between all the phenomena. But again, the point I'm making is it very well could be the case that this phenomena, if indeed it is not of earthly origin, or even perhaps if it is, it very well could be the case that it is something that predates the end of the Second World War. Rather than its arrival at that time, I think that technological innovations allow us to study and perceive it better, namely radar. In that line of thought, Keel actually received a report from a West Virginia newspaperman who said that back in the 1920s, I believe, he had been part of a posse that had been called up to investigate an airplane crash up in the mountains of West Virginia. And so he and the sheriff in that town followed the advice of the farmer who watched the plane, a strange-looking aircraft, he said, with no wings, go down in this portion of the uh, forest. And so this gentleman, we'll call him Jeff, goes up there with the sheriff and this posse. And when they get up there, he says, we found the downed aircraft, but it was weird looking. It was like a normal airplane, but much bigger and no wings, like just a fuselage. And it seemed to have windows along the side. And it was kind of parked in this clearing, and there were men running around. Some of them appeared to be wearing kind of silvery suits, and they looked kind of more like engineers, like they were working on the, the ship. And then there were other guys standing around next to them that were kind of directing things, and they were all wearing black suits. When the party arrives, one of the men shouts, they're spies, and they're carrying guns and everything. But one of the men in black suits, now keep in mind, up until this point, all these men had been speaking in some unrecognized foreign language. But the man approaches and he speaks in perfect English and says, listen, nobody's been injured. Everything's fine. We'll file a report with the sheriff's department later. And so they said, well, what, what could we do? Nobody was hurt. No laws had been broken. So we just left. But Jeff at that time said he'd found a little thingamajig laying on the ground and he picks that up and puts it in his pocket. Just a little something that he had found that seemed to have belonged to part of the aircraft, but didn't look like essential to its operation. So he puts it in his pocket and they hike out of the woods and he goes home. And at about you know three or four o'clock in the morning, he hears a banging on his door and it wakes him up from his sleep. And he goes to the door and he says, there's a man standing there in an Air Force uniform. Now, this would have been, I guess, Army Air Force at that time. This, of course, predates the era of the U.S. Air Force. But this guy in this Army uniform introduces himself and says, you've got something that belongs to us and we want it back. And he says, oh, and he reaches into his pocket hanging by the door and says, you mean this? And he says, the man snatches it and walks off into the dark and leaves and he says there didn't appear to be any horse there that he had ridden in on or an automobile, anything like that. He just walks off into the darkness. But I'm thinking, how would this guy claiming to be with our military have known where I lived? I didn't give my address. I didn't give any information about where I lived. But this guy came looking for this thing that I retrieved from this weird wreckage up there in the West Virginia woods. Again, this predating by decades the arrival of the modern UFO, post-1947 UFO era as we know it today. Keel wrote about that also. And again, some of those weird outliers definitely seem to involve guys in black suits in association with UFOs. If, yet again, that story is to be believed. You know, I don't even have any suit. If I wanted to go out and put on a black suit, well, forget about it. Micah Hanks, Gene Steinberg, J. Randall Murphy, you're in. The Paracast. 
As you know, neighbors, web hosting can be pretty cheap, but not all hosting is the same. DreamHost wins best of awards year after year. You get unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, and even the low-cost plans put your sites on high-performance SSDs. Want to know more about what DreamHost has to offer? Go to technightowl.com slash host. Once again, that's technightowl.com slash host. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. Are you ready for what's next? It's likely coming. More food shortages, power outages, grocery stores closed, social unrest. Ask yourself, do you have enough food and supplies on hand to last at least 30 days? Most Americans do not, but you can. Avoid the panic of the last-minute rush. Order your four-week supply of emergency food today from MyPatriotSupply.com. Starvation or dependency on the government are your only alternatives. Avoid those and the pain of being unprepared. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com right now. Build your emergency food supply with meals that last up to 25 years in storage, shipped discreetly to your door. Folks that know what's coming are using today to prepare. There's time for you to do the same. That's MyPatriotSupply.com, the original Patriot Preparedness Company. MyPatriotSupply.com. Silver has always been nature's very own antibiotic, and only one system allows you to generate an endless supply of natural silver solutions. SilverLungs.com. You'll find no wild claims or pseudoscience, just a lifetime of nano-sized pure silver solutions. The Silver Lungs generator allows you to make your own, so stop paying for silver solutions. The unique lung delivery system targets respiratory infections where other silver solutions simply cannot reach. See the Silver Lungs generator and lung delivery system at SilverLungs.com. That's SilverLungs.com. Today, many of us are paying attention to our health, and what we eat plays an important role. But so often, the water we drink is a mere afterthought when it should be a primary part of our daily nutrition. Real Water would like to change how you think about the water you drink and how it can play an important role in helping your body restore balance and reach its full potential. The key benefits of every bottle of Real Water are stabilized negative ions, balanced pH, detoxification, and it hydrates you like never before. And yes, it tastes great. Real Water is beyond alkalinity, and due to its proprietary process called E2 Technology, it's the only drinking water on the market that can maintain a stable negative ionization, which means real science in every bottle. Order your real water today and take advantage of special pricing for this audience only by calling 1-855-REALWTR or visiting buyrealwaternow.com. That's 1-855-REALWTR or buyrealwaternow.com. Order now. 1-855-REALWTR or buyrealwaternow.com. Both my legs were amputated due to an IED. It's when you start to try to get back into, like, an everyday life. I absolutely felt like I lost my purpose. There must be something more. When DAV came into my life, they gave me a new mission. I could still be a productive member of society, could still support a family. The DAV gave him that sense of structure and purpose again to get his life back together. 
Visit DAV.org to learn more about our mission. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. So since we raised the question, the specter, specter, I think of James Bond, the specter of black suits, I don't have a suit. I have a couple of sports jackets from years ago. The last time I wore one was at my son's bar mitzvah when he was 13 in 1999. That's it. It's still there, unworn. Micah, do you have a black suit? Oh, yes, of course. I have to have one. You know, I have to wear one for my job. You've got the definite MIB look going there, uh, (laughs) for sure. Uh, It's a pretty standard, I guess, maybe look. Right. Yeah, for professionals, you know, the black jacket, white shirt, it's pretty common. So, I mean, why shouldn't we see people out asking and interviewing people dressed that way? I, I mean, there's a whole range to all of this. But what gets me is the stuff that's just really weird that you just can't explain because there's no normal way to explain it. I can certainly explain the black suit, though. They just won't let me into the lodge on Tuesdays unless I wear it. <laughs> Yeah, I was glad you mentioned the Grillian Report, because uh, I think it was last time we had you on the show. You were doing your podcast as part of the Grillian Report. Now you're doing your own show. And uh, it says that you deal with a whole range of topics, not just UFOs, for example. So one of the things that you like to deal with is uh, space exploration. So tell us sort of what your interest in that is. What's the latest that's been going on in space exploration? Well, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm interested in really all kinds of, of subjects. But, uh, you know, I feel right now, and I'm glad you asked about this, by the way, Randall, because, you know, yes, the Graylian Report was a blog I started many years ago. And the earliest iteration of any kind of radio show that I did, apart from actually working in radio, because keep in mind, I was actually a producer and occasional host of a number of different talk radio format shows when I worked for years as a professional producer uh, for what is now iHeartMedia, Inc., but it was Clear Channel at that time. And so right here in Asheville, North Carolina, where I reside, I worked for our station cluster and was a producer across different platforms in a lot of different stations and studios. Eventually, they consolidated, put everything in one big building, and it was at the time that it was built a state-of-the-art facility with some of the uh, the top-end uh, gear, really, that was being integrated in digital broadcast at that time. I say digital broadcast, even though it was terrestrial radio, did it the old-fashioned way. We had a great big field with four towers. I mean, it's it was real radio, but again, we were moving away from using analog systems for that kind of broadcast and, and installing these state-of-the-art digital boards. And so, When I first left radio, almost immediately, there was almost no transition. In fact, I think I was actually still an employee when I began doing webcasts. Podcasts were definitely already a thing. We were doing them in radio, but I began doing live streams. And the first iteration of that was the Micah Hanks program. I was doing a, a radio format show. So actually, that was the first name that I used. But then I'd been a part of one of these little networks, and I actually ended up leaving that network, and I thought that it would be apropos at the time not to use the same name for a little while. And I was doing the Graylian Report blog, and so I decided to do a separate, entirely separate podcast with the name for the Graylian Report, always with the intention of bringing back the Micah Hanks program. 
that actually happened at one point. The show actually was airing on KGRA radio. We were doing that, and we were also featuring the Graylian podcasts on the network. And eventually, I decided it's time to go back to the original name, Consolidate. I'd never expected the Graylian podcast would end up taking off and becoming the main show I would end up doing for years and years, and it did. It was really kind of a strange homecoming. And so with the new old iteration of the show with the new name, you know, one of the things I wanted to try and do was as we are seeing SpaceX, as we are seeing Blue Origin, as we are now, of course, you know, getting our space force into order and eventually off the ground. You know, this is going to be an exciting time and maybe on par with the great space race that we saw begin in the 1960s. I'm really looking at some of the developments both in government but also in especially private industry. Our aspirations, Elon Musk wanting to take us to Mars, you know, Jeff Bezos and Blue Origin, you know, and what they're doing and the competitive nature of these separate civilian space programs and how increasingly over time – we're seeing NASA outsource to them. And let's not forget about Bob Bigelow, you know, which ties it all back in with ufology. Bigelow Advanced Aerospace Studies, NASA has outsourced to Bigelow over the years. But we now know, of course, with the military's interest in UFOs and the Pentagon program, that Bigelow was instrumental in all of that with the ATIP program and its predecessor, the ALSAP program. So with all of these things that are changing right now and new things coming to light and how the, the commercial space industry is so much a part of that. I really am shifting my focus more in that direction. And I think it's really going to be setting a precedent for the technologies that we're going to be seeing over the next couple of decades. This is going to be the path to a future that's going to be unlike any world we know right now. In fact, we may be going more and more increasingly with time off world. Well, yeah. Okay. So there was a lot to cover there, but I I think you're absolutely right. And the more that humanity tends to reach out and and into space and explore space, the more logical it seems to be that whatever these alien craft are that are visiting our world, that they are probably just something that's been doing the same thing, but started before us. Interstellar travel doesn't seem to be quite as fantastic. I mean, now they've discovered well they've known about it for a while but there's a planet around our nearest star proxima centauri b that's only 4.2 light years so even at less than half the speed of light it's well within a human lifespan to get there and even back yes if the technology exists if again and that's a big if this is one reason i think it's important to be studying ufos you know i do not espouse an extraterrestrial hypothesis in relation to that. I acknowledge it as being a likelihood according to some information, but I mean, I'm always open to other interpretations. And when I say a likelihood, a lot of people are like, oh, come on, give me a break. You know, the more skeptically inclined, I know my my old pal Robert Schaefer would probably roll his eyes if you heard me say that. But I wonder if all of the dynamics of the phenomena from over the years can be accounted for in terms of just our secret government technologies. And again, this is one reason why I'm always asking people to please review the history of the phenomenon. You know, Barry Greenwood, in his fantastic newsletter from years ago, the UFO Historical Review, I think it was the very first issue, he features a account from maybe around 1941 or 1943, but it was a pilot out there flying around the coast of California, and he sees this object come up, from the left and he looks over to observe this and this thing kind of dips down and then kind of flies out off of his wing very much either like a flying saucer or kind of like one of these weird swept wing aircraft but with again flight characteristics and appearance 
and dynamics that are just different from any kind of known aircraft. And when it took off at the end, he said it already had a sort of an orange glow around it, but that when this thing took off, he said that the back end wobbled a little bit, and then it just took off, and it increased in brightness and became brighter as it flew off toward the horizon at incredible speed. If we had that kind of technology... Why are we testing that in U.S. airspace in the middle of the greatest conflict of the last century? Why wasn't that ever used during the conflict or in subsequent operations, military operations that have carried out, uh, been carried out over the years thereafter? Why in the world would that kind of technology not have been disclosed after more than half a century? We're raising the question of the ages, and we'll have the break of the ages, and we'll figure it out. More to come with Gene Randall and Micah. You're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. This is Fred. Uh, hi, I'm Fred. Fred's a repeater. I tend to repeat. Fred has a business. I do have a business. And a problem. Fred repeats the same tired advertising over and over, and now it doesn't work. Over and over. But Fred is about to see a vision. I'm seeing a vision. Advertising on the Genesis Communications Network is the smart way for Fred to reach his potential customers with the most affordable national advertising rates, period. Get started today with GCN, the Genesis Communications Network. Just email advertise at GCNlive.com. We all have heard about the benefits of fish oils, but what about the presence of heavy metals, PCBs, dioxins, furans, and other contaminants found in fatty tissues of fish? GCNteam.com recognizes this risk and offers IFOS certified tested omega-3 fatty acids. EPA, DHA, insist on IFOS omega-3 fatty acid certification. Get the best at GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. USA Radio News with Wendy King. Congressional lawmakers have left Capitol Hill for the remainder of the August recess without a deal for the next COVID-19 relief package, which is expected to send another stimulus payment to most Americans. The House and Senate are now both on recess. House Democratic leaders and negotiators from the White House have worked this month to find a deal on another relief bill. Both chambers have crafted relief aid, but the two sides remain far apart on certain provisions. Unless negotiators reach an agreement, lawmakers will not return to Capitol Hill until September. The House is scheduled to return September 14th, and the Senate the second week of the month. Adding to the uncertainty are both parties' national nominating conventions, which will be held over the next two weeks. The Democrats will stage theirs next week, and the Republicans a week later. This is USA Radio News. The U.S. Postal Service sent dozens of states letters saying that some mail-in ballots may not be counted in time for the November election. It's a warning that further complicates the role of the USPS in the voting process. The Washington Post was the first to report that Thomas Marshall, general counsel and executive vice president for the U.S. Postal Service, sent letters to 46 states and Washington, D.C. He told the states some ballots may not arrive in time to be counted. Los Angeles area officials lifted some evacuation orders as firefighters battled a 17,000-acre blaze amid what could be a record-breaking heat wave in Southern California. The California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection said the blaze, which started Wednesday, was only 12% contained. The fire was situated near Lake Hughes, an unincorporated community in Los Angeles County. 
So far, the wildfire has destroyed at least 21 structures. You're listening to USA Radio News. Warning. If you're drowning in debt you can't afford, do not let the credit card companies trick you into thinking that you have to pay it all back, because you don't. What the credit card companies don't want you to know is that there's actually a way to get debt-free without paying off your entire debt or going bankrupt. If you have $10,000 or more in credit card debt, you now have the right to let us settle that debt for a fraction of what you owe. For free information, call Credit Associates now. 1-800-900-8407. We'll even show you how much money you could save. If you can't afford to pay off all your debt, do not let the credit card companies trick you into thinking that you have to. Call Credit Associates now for free information on how to get debt-free faster than you ever thought possible without debt consolidation or bankruptcy. We depend on your success and offer a guarantee, so there's no risk. For free information, call now, 1-800-900-8407. That's 1-800-900-8407. 1-800-900-8407. Hi, this is Bryce Abel. I'm the producer of Dark Skies, the co-author of AD After Disclosure, and you are listening to the Paracast the gold standard of paranormal radio. Okay, Micah Hanks joining us. Questions being asked. Randall, you were about to say something before I had to stop for the pause yeah, that refreshed. Well, just going back to what you were saying, Micah, uh, that the question, the answer to that question is, you know, why wouldn't we have been using the kind of technology that has been uh, observed by now? And I think you're absolutely right, especially when we're talking about, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s, even 70s technology. If if they had it back then, by now, we'd know about it. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. But I also don't think it's reasonable to think that the kind of technology that was observed, or at least the type of craft that were observed if they were craft there seems to be every reason to think that they were craft i mean when we look at the twinning memo they were being tracked on radar they were being chased by jets they were being seen in the daylight with radar visual observations these were saucer light craft that could outperform and outrun anything that they had at the time why would they be even chasing them then it doesn't make any sense at all to date, I don't know of any kind of craft or technology that we would have that can instantly change direction, instantly accelerate off at the rate that these things have been reported to perform at. It just doesn't add up to me at all. It, it makes no sense, Randall. It makes no sense at all. Again, people look at, for instance, the, the recent Navy films that were acknowledged by the Pentagon after they were reportedly released through unauthorized channels. That, again, is the official Pentagon narrative. Those videos, they appear to show something that the Pentagon says it can't identify. UFO skeptic Mick West, and again, you know, just like Bob Schaefer and a lot of other people who are more skeptically inclined as commentators, I appreciate, I value their perspectives on things. Bob Schaefer and I talking a few years ago had said exactly what you just said right there, Randall. There's no way if these things belong to us, they wouldn't have been disclosed to the public after all this time. So we, had, we absolutely share some perspectives on things. On the other hand, I know that Mick West has continued to say that the object in the video that is related to the Nimitz incident, again, not filmed by pilot Commander Dave Fravor, but filmed by pilot Chad Underwood, this object 
very well could have just been a 747 off in the distance. Now, initially, Mick had said that that was the case, but that the aircraft was probably much further in the, in the distance. We now know it was within about 20 miles away, I think actually closer to 19. Mick concedes that, but he nonetheless says that at that distance and with the low-resolution footage that was being employed by the Raytheon Aptlier forward-targeting pod, we might still account for this as being a distant commercial airliner. To which I say, why in the world, then, would there not have been a discernible transponder? And if there was a 747 flying with no transponder in that airspace with these military operations being carried out, a training operation off the California coast, that would have been a real problem. It would have been a real problem for a 747 flying with its transponder turned off in the first place. We have to be able to account for all of the aspects of that incident. What did Commander Fravor say that he saw? Chad Underwood believes he filmed the same thing, and certain characteristics of what we see in the Atflir footage, short though it is, edited though it was, as far as we know, that seems to add up to there being at least something unknown, and even the Pentagon says that that's the case. Now, great, they just released this, maybe it was something that you know our boys from Area 51 were playing with. But that seems less likely to me if we look all the way back to the 1960s. We had the Vietnam conflict. A lot of people don't know that there were two secret UFO projects that were carried out there during that time. They were called Have Fear and Lethal Chaser. I believe they occurred in August of 1967. They included laser, night vision, and a number of other different kinds of instrumental arrays that were used to try and target objects that were flying over the controlled airspace there. And they were described as being egg or ellipsoid-shaped objects that gave off a blue glow. They sounded very much like the sort of quote-unquote tic-tac that Dave Fravor said that he saw. Go a few years before that, Lonnie Zamora, in uh, the Socorro, New Mexico incident, he described an aircraft that was, in a lot of ways, very similar to the description that Fravor gave of the so-called tic-tac. I even found a report from the middle to late 1940s at Oak Ridge, Tennessee, where a couple of, of drivers going along a road at night near the Oak Ridge Laboratory, encountered a large, again, I think they described it as being cigar-shaped. They said it was kind of an off-white color with rounded edges. It was hovering over the highway in front of them. As they stopped, they got out of the car, they watched it. It was a good distance away. As they began to drive toward it, it kind of moved away and then eventually left, but it, it very much was a description of a similar kind of an object. Did we have that technology in the 1940s? I mean, did we have this kind of technology during the Second World War when there were pilots over both the Pacific Theater and also over Europe, Axis and Ally pilots, mind you, who were saying that they were seeing strange lights that would follow them? And yeah, sure, maybe some of these were lightning sprites, ball lightning, natural or geophysical phenomena. But there's also, and this is quite interesting, especially from the Pacific Theater, instances where pilots said that they were followed by aircraft that in in one flight, and this is a really interesting one that you never hear about, they flew from night into early morning, and as the daylight began to strike the light that had been following them a distance away, the so-called Foo Fighter, they actually saw daylight reflecting off of it. It seemed to have a metallic sheen. As far as I know, ball lightning doesn't do that. It seemed to be some kind of an actual tangible craft that was flying a good distance away from them, but kind of trailing them, and it really kind of made the pilots uneasy. Even during the Second World War, you hear reports of very unusual things that seem to imply a kind of technology. It's not impossible that it's of earthly origin. Upon historical review, you begin to see how difficult it is to reconcile that with the old, ah, these are just ours, and it's just our boys at Area 51 playing with something. That's really not as easy and clear-cut an argument as many people think it is. You're one of the guys that's done his homework on this, and, and it's just not ours. It can't be, at least not 
all of it. Sure, there's a lot that is probably a misidentification or a misinterpretation. There might even be fabrications out there, but not all of it is. There's that residual number that just cannot be explained by our technology. It's not from around here, Micah. Hey, have you ever seen one yourself? Have we ever asked you that? Have you had a UFO experience of your own? I don't really think I've seen a UFO per se. I have had some observations of what may have been some anomalous lights down at Brown Mountain, North Carolina, which, Gene, you visited there one time, I believe, didn't you? Oh, yeah, it goes back to the mid-1960s. or Actually, no, it was the late 1960s. It was me in Geneva and Alan Greenfield. Yeah. And I wrote an article about it for our magazine, Caveat MTOR. And what I remember is we were going up a dirt road to Weissman's View at the top of the mountain. And yep. we looked across and we saw some lights. And the people there said, wow, wow, here it is. It's just a plane. <laughs> yeah, I've had that experience too, Gene, right there at Wiseman's View. There have been a couple of instances where I've seen what, again, might have been lights. I was there with David Weatherly, you know, just last fall before the weird pandemic hit and changed the entire world. And it was pretty chilly, but... David and I rode up there together and, you know, we stood there and we did see little kind of flickerings of light. And it's funny because, you know, I'm always a little more skeptically inclined. So again, I will continue to argue that there's a much broader history. I don't know that we can extend that back to antiquity. But when I talk about researchers having done that and arguing the fact that there seems to be a history that goes back much further into history, maybe not deep history, but certainly at least as far as historic record goes, what we have to, I think, recognize is, there should be a distinction between the modern UFO phenomena and the apparent technological presence that we can detect, and which, again, our own new technologies, you know, as of the Second World War at least, radar primarily. Nowadays, the corollary for that being, again, infrared or targeting pods, tracking capabilities like the Raytheon Company stuff, again, it's quite obvious that with technology that's more capable of discerning a tangible presence, and we're not relying on just whether or not our eyes are really seeing what we're seeing, again, I'll believe it when I see it. Well, that's obviously not good enough. But that's the best that we had prior to the 1940s with the Second World War. So it's very possible that pre-World War observations of anomalous aerial phenomena, the likes of which were written by Charles Ford, may have been similar to the kinds of things that we've seen post-World War. But we didn't have the kind of instrumental capability of you know, tracking and observing those things. But again, the other side of that coin is we have to recognize that there is a long-held tradition of humans seeing things they didn't understand in the skies and projecting religious beliefs or ascribing agency to that. Got more to come with Micah Hanks and Gene and Randall. You're in. The Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. 
It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. I started fighting the IRS over 40 years ago when they tried to seize my mother's house. I sued the IRS and won. I beat the IRS then, and I've been beating them ever since. I wrote the book on tax debt settlement, and I've helped thousands of people deal with tax problems they thought might never be solved. I can help you too. If you owe taxes you can't pay, don't wait another day. There's no such thing as a hopeless tax case. Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to my website, danpilla.com. That's danpilla.com, danpilla.com. Silver has always been nature's very own antibiotic, and only one system allows you to generate an endless supply of natural silver solutions. SilverLungs.com. You'll find no wild claims or pseudoscience, just a lifetime of nano-sized pure silver solutions. The Silver Lungs Generator allows you to make your own, so stop paying for silver solutions. The unique lung delivery system targets respiratory infections where other silver solutions simply cannot reach. See the Silver Lungs Generator and Lung Delivery System at SilverLungs.com. That's SilverLungs.com. Hi, Peter Vaccaro for ParanormalDate.com. Are you looking for love in all the wrong places? Now you have a chance to change that by signing up for free at ParanormalDate.com. This incredible dating site puts people of like minds together. People who are interested in the strange, the unusual, mysteries, ghosts, UFOs, and the afterlife, and so much more. ParanormalDate.com was developed for you, people seeking a viable alternative to the other dating services. You can join for free by going to ParanormalDate.com, and if you decide you like it and want to connect with people, use the code GEORGE for a substantial discount. Mark Rawlings, president of ParanormalDate.com, says so many people hunger to share their experiences about the paranormal, the unexplainable, or the afterlife, and so much more, and this is the source for them to meet and share that common interest. So sign up for free at ParanormalDate.com, ParanormalDate.com and use the code GEORGE if you decide to connect with someone you like. Would you like to get back that full head of hair from years past? Introducing Reveal from GCNLife.com. Beverly Hills dermatologist Dr. Nathan Newman invented Reveal, which contains polypeptides with natural botanicals and no parabens, sulfates, silicones, or dyes for a salon-quality hair growth product, Reveal. Here's Dr. Newman. I have treated a lot of patients who lose their hair and they lose their confidence. We've created a unique set of polypeptides, which we call HPT6. The HPT6 contains the polypeptides from six different plants. The scalp infusion treatment should be used on wet or dry scalp. The Reveal Hair Care System is designed to be used for men and women alike. Get Reveal at GCNLife.com with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So try Reveal today at GCNLife.com or 844-443-6637. Plus a discount up to 25% off for Reveal at GCNLife.com or 844-443-6637. This is Robert Hastings, author of UFOs and Nukes, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Shh. 
should remind our listeners that we have the PowerCast Plus, which is the enhanced version of this show, free of the network ads, plus the after the PowerCast podcast. And Micah will be back for that one. He'll be right back. In the meantime, several more segments of this episode of the PowerCast. We're exploring a lot of things we haven't talked to him about because it's been several years. So we're playing catch up. And there was something that you had mentioned in one of your radio shows, and you used the word pentacle, Uh anatomy of a cover-up. Tell us more. Yeah, this is a reference to the infamous pentacle memorandum. A lot of people probably haven't heard of this. Uh, It's pretty well known to those who have read Jacques Vallée's writings over the years. And it's a rather controversial and problematic document. And the story of the Pinnacle Memorandum really kind of goes like this. Back in 1967, Jacques Vallée, I think he was still in his 20s, he had published a fantastic book on the subject by that time called Anatomy of a Phenomenon. No, no, he had published two books, I think. I think Challenge to Science also may have been uh, out at this point. He'd published a couple of books, and he was working kind of in an assistance position under J. Allen Hynek, who at that time was an official advisor on UFOs to the U.S. Air Force. And... We had the University of Colorado project funded by the Air Force that was currently underway. Well, J. Allen Hynek was also hitting the lecture circuit, and he was quite a popular speaker at that time. I think actually in part because Frank Edwards, the author who had written the book um, Behind the Flying Saucers, right? He, I believe, had just passed away, if memory serves, and his publicist had been looking for someone to fill those spots on the lecture circuit where he wouldn't be able to fulfill them, obviously. Stop the presses before we get back to Pentacle. Yeah. Got this from CNN. Okay. This is not fake news, CNN. This is CNN, the real thing, which is owned by AT&T, which owns Time Warner Media. Seriously, Pentagon to launch task force to investigate UFO sightings. The Pentagon is forming a new task force to investigate UFOs that have been observed by U.S. military aircraft, according to two defense officials. I'll read one more paragraph. I'm just hearing this myself, folks. Deputy Secretary of Defense David Norquist will help oversee the task force, which is expected to be officially unveiled in the next few days, according to the officials. Previous efforts to look at what the Pentagon dubs unidentified aerial phenomena were led by the U.S. Navy, as many of the documented encounters involve their aircraft. The Department of Defense did not immediately respond to a request for comment. Now, before we go back to Pentacle, I'm just going to raise one quick question here because I'm just learning about it. And my associates here have probably not seen the article. Is this intended to be the beginnings of an October surprise from the Trump administration? Ah, good question. <laughs> and I hadn't seen that yet, too, although I see it's linked on some of the big news sites. We have been hearing about this, and we'll get back to the Pentacle, but let's talk briefly about the Pentagon since that's breaking news. There had been questions. Again, Pentagon spokeswoman Susan Goh has been asked several times about whether the UAP task force exists or whether it was going to be something forthcoming. And there have been sort of conflicting statements. Again, the Senate intelligence briefing seemed to describe this as being, and thank you for the links there, it seems to have been a reference to something that existed but she worded it had had made it sound like it didn't exist yet. So if I'm reading this article correctly from CNN, it seems to imply that they are formulating it with Norquist apparently heading this up and they're going to be officially unveiling it in the coming days. So I actually get the impression maybe it didn't exist, although there had also been some conjectures. 
that the UAP task force that's described in the CNN article here and the current existing ATIP program, but under a different name, were one and the same. The ATIP program that was disclosed by the New York Times back in 2017 apparently still exists, but it's under a different name and, of course, under different leadership since Luis Elizondo has, of course, officially left the program as of 2017 in October of that year. I've spoken off the record a couple of times with Lou, and I have gotten to know him pretty well. I'll just tell you this. My personal perspective of Lou Elizondo is that he's a really good guy. And he takes this subject extremely seriously. You know, you couldn't ask for, in my opinion, a government official, a former government official who is more straight shooting, but who is more sincere in his interest in trying to communicate to the public about this issue. And, you know, I know a lot of people have com- compared him, I think, to guys like Richard Doty and said, you know, how do we know that he's not just another information agent? To that I ask, well, what kind of information has he supplied? Wh- where's the MJ-12 documents? You know, where's the the file cache that was shown to Linda Moulton Howe, you know, where are all of the, the documents or what, what other kind of data has he presented that seems to be questionable or which appears to be steering the narrative? He has only essentially commented on, for instance, the videos that the Pentagon has already released and, of course, has participated in made-for-television investigations into those things, apart from work he actually did with the government. You know, he seems to me to be a very sincere individual, and I don't see compared with past instances, a whole lot of information being provided that would be of questionable nature. Quite the opposite with him, which makes, I think, it a very different story. I wanted to mention one more thing here. In the article, they quote the current chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, Florida Senator Marco Rubio. Uh And I'll give you this single sentence. Frankly, if it's something from outside this planet, that might actually be better than the fact that we've seen some sort of technological leap on behalf of the Chinese or the Russians or some other adversary. Parse that sentence. You know, it's more dangerous if it's terrestrial because it means that other countries have advanced aircraft. But if it's ET, well, that may be okay. Well, we could break that down a little, too. Again, that was actually in a statement that he had given to a Florida-based journalist a couple of uh, months ago. Back, Well, maybe maybe more like a month and a half ago. But anyway, unless he gave the same statement to CNN, he has said that before. That's and, quoted from a radio station interview. Okay, that's uh-huh. from WFOR-TV in July. So, yes, yep, yep. Mm-hmm. it is yeah, something that's, that's already been mentioned. But they mention it here as background because it shows, yeah. number one, Rubio is being very serious. This is a time when we have extreme politics going on in this country. And a lot of nonsense coming out. And now we have this in the middle of it, which means, of course, it will be overlooked. We're busy with the pandemic. We're busy with renewed controversies over absentee voting, which is the same as mail-in voting, though they try to (laughs) pretend it's something else. All this stuff going on that consumes the headlines and they throw this in the middle of it. Yeah. So it yeah, goes yeah, under exactly. the radar. Literally. Yeah. Well, it's unfortunate because, you know, again, Marco Rubio, yet again, a, a guy I have to kind of, you know, give kudos to because he seems to take this very seriously. I don't doubt he received briefings from Lou Elizondo because he said that he's been receiving intelligence on this for the better part of a decade in the same interview we were just talking about. Again, he says it might be better if these things are from someplace else because. Therefore, that would mean it's not China or Russia invading our airspace. The good news is, if they are not Chinese or Russian technology, and again, based on what intelligence 
has been made available publicly, and I keep tabs on this almost on a daily, literally on a daily basis. Let's go just go ahead and say it. I mean, this is literally my life. I study this stuff tremendously. There's no evidence, to my knowledge, that's existent in the public domain that in- indicates in a, any credible fashion that there's any link to China or Russia. Now, Russia does have aspirations, and allegedly they actually are working on some hypersonic weapons. Putin's always talking about things like that. But guys, are they going to be able to go Mach 12 and take sharp right-angle turns? You know, Are they going to be able to outfox our best Navy fighter aircraft? I mean, seriously, I don't think that Russia has something comparable to the kinds of things that we are seeing described by our own pilots here stateside. The thing we should mention, too, Micah, is that if the Russians had anything like this, they'd be boasting about it. Look at this coronavirus vaccine that they're talking about now. Hasn't even entered phase three trials, which is very important because you want to know, number one, it's effective. Very important. It's effective. Number two, the side effects are not serious. I mean, the side effects might be like you get a flu vaccine. You literally get a very, very mild case of the flu. That's one thing. And probably nothing to worry about. But if they're making this boast now, if they had advanced technology, they'd be talking about the Chinese. Ditto. If they had advanced technology, fine. I don't dismiss the possibility that over the years there have been sightings that involve military test aircraft, but this is getting extreme. And again, I don't even agree with a lot of the things that Senator Rubio says about a lot of things, like preserving Medicare and preserving Social Security. He said some very questionable things about that. But that doesn't mean he's dishonest. And knowing the politics, he wouldn't say something front and center and positive about serious UFO investigations. Very good point. Unless he really legitimately felt there was something going on. Otherwise, there's no political advantage, none whatever. Micah Hanks, Gene Steinberg, J. Randall Murphy, you're in. The Paracast. listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. We also have swag. You know, we have all these exclusive Paracast things that you can buy. We've got like, I guess, 60 or so different items and entails T-shirts, sleeves for notebook computers, iPad cases, mouse pads, the Paracast jumbo tote bag, All sorts of t-shirts and jackets and stuff like that for men and women. We have a Paracast aluminum water bottle. All this stuff, you go to store.theparacast.com, store.theparacast.com. What makes it special is that the items are the best quality, great t-shirts, fabrics, and they have our official logo on them. That's what makes them special in multiple sizes and colors. We even have stuff for children. Stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes, like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the Paracast. You go to store.theparacast.com. Stop by and take a shopping tour. 
Stop aging now. Restore those joints. Boost your strength. Because it's official. Nutramedical has released the most exciting, powerful anti-aging supplement on the market. Dr. Bill Deagle's Red Deer Velvet DR has been approved by the U.S. Patent Office. Imagine stem cell rejuvenation all in one capsule without huge expense. Dr. Bill MD discovered that as an unborn baby grows in the mother's womb, he or she does not deteriorate or physically age. Red Deer Velvet DR, like the uterus, provides 300 biomolecules and six hormones protected in one special DR capsule that delivers lipid packages directly into your circulation. This patented technology bypasses the stomach and is released into the small bowel unaltered by digestive enzymes and stomach acid. Remember, Red Deer Velvet DR. Improve endurance, simulate your immune system, increase learning ability, and even improve sexual libido with Red Deer Velvet DR. Click NutriMedical.com. That's N-U-T-R-I Medical.com. Or call toll-free 888-212-8871 and get on the road to a newer, rejuvenated, happier you. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. So, Micah Hanks, do you want to talk any more about this CNN thing, or should we dovetail back to Pentacle? Yeah, we might as well get back from Pentagon to Pentacle because, again, we saw the news. We'll have to wait and see what comes of it, but who knows? It may be interesting. If it happens before the election, that'll be really interesting. Let's say I won't hold my breath. Now, (gasps) in the the 1960s, you know, we had Hynek on the lecture circuit. We had a frustrated computer scientist who was assisting him named Jacques Vallée who thought that Hynek needed to be back and working on the scientific side, not the public side of the issue. There were a lot of high hopes at that time that the Condon Committee was going to actually produce a favorable report that might encourage a UAP task force in a very different kind of way. It would have been a UFO task force of the 1960s. I mean, they they actually had hoped that maybe Condon and and the team there, Bob Lowe and the guys working at the uh, University of Colorado, would actually do something. That ended up not happening, of course, but... While Heineck's out there on the road and his files, all the Blue Book documents, all the other documentation he has about UFOs are in such a state of disarray. Jacques Vallée says, if I don't do this, nobody will. I've got to try and organize Alan's files for him. So he drives over to his office and gets them and puts them all in boxes and carries them in his Buick over to their research center. And he starts organizing the files and he comes across a memorandum. And this memorandum wasn't called Pentacle. It was actually a memorandum that was written by a fellow who was signed by H.C. Cross, but at the time that he found it, he called this individual so as not to release the gentleman's name. He called him Pentacle. The document was addressed to a Mr. Goal, G-O-L-L, but it was at the top of the document. You can actually see it says, Attention, Captain Edward J. Ruppelt. And this document would have dated from January of 1953. And what it essentially was saying was, you got to keep in mind, at this time, The Battelle Memorial Institute had just begun its own study of a few thousand Blue Book files that were on hand at that time, which for it to be in 1953 and January, no less, this would probably also have to include some documentation that was carried over to Blue Book, probably from Projects Grudge and Sign before that. This memorandum to Mr. Goal essentially is saying that they advise that they postponed the forthcoming Robertson panel, as it would come to be known, on part really by a recommendation from the CIA. And they're saying that they want this postponed because, according to Pentacle, Mr. Cross, he's saying until we have completed our analysis, you know, 
this may be beneficial and therefore this panel shouldn't be held first and we need to be able to discuss with them what should and should not be said. Valet's seeing this and he's reading it and he's going, what in the world? Hold on. Who has thousands of Blue Book reports? Alan and I don't even have thousands of Blue Book reports. What are they talking about? And then furthermore, in the document, it also states, it makes references rather to this Project Stork, and it's talking about analyzing areas where a lot of UFO sightings are occurring. And it states on the, on the document, many different types of aerial activity should be secretly and purposefully scheduled within the area. Now, the way that Valet interpreted that line, he saw that as possibly indicating that they were trying to stage a fake wave of UFO sightings in areas where people have been seeing a lot of them. The document never came to light publicly for a number of years until eventually there was one that was presumably leaked. It was obtained by Barry Greenwood. Greenwood, when he's able to confirm that he has this document, they show it to Valet. It came to light first in the early 90s in the original publication of his four-part series, Forbidden Science, the first volume, the first chapter of that, which were his personal diaries from over the years. And he references having read this document. When the, the document actually is leaked years later, he's like, yes, you know, this is obviously the same thing that I had seen. But that's where the controversy really begins, because Greenwood and others are like, you know, listen, I, I don't really think this necessarily conveys everything that you think it does, Jacques. It, it sounds actually like this H.C. Cross guy, and it's later confirmed, he did work for the Battelle Memorial Institute. And it seems that he is describing their study at that time, which was occurring behind the scenes for a couple of years, coinciding with the Robertson panel, which would culminate in, that's right, Project Blue Book Special Report number 14, Stanton Friedman's favorite document. Every time I ever saw him, he always talked about this. <laughs> and that was released publicly in 1955. Valet said, well, no, hold on. No, there's there's more to this. Again, what about the insinuation of, of secret flights and things? in airspace where UFO sightings have occurred. And furthermore, yes, even though historically we now know that there were about 3,200 Blue Book files on hand that the Battelle Institute had for their own study, Valet apparently and Alan, his contention I think at the time had been that they hadn't been made privy to that, which really coming back around to a, a gripe that he and Hynek had at the time, they and many others were afraid that Blue Book was really just a public relations campaign. The military seems to be doing their own studies, and they're not really letting us, the scientists who are in, in, supposed to be involved, look at all the information. So Valet maintains that this actually is a important document, and it kind of shows some of the hijinks from over the years. Other researchers are a little more dismissive of it. You know, I understand why, really. But I think at the time that Valet saw it, he couldn't have known all the things that would come out decades later. He's even pointed that out at the time he wrote about it in his journals. He's in his 20s. He didn't have all the documents, all the information. It definitely seemed more problematic at that time. And, yeah, there's still probably some concerns you know, that we could kind of extrapolate from this, namely the fact that Valet and Hynek had been repeatedly told about a group of scientists, probably at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, who were involved in study of UFO files. So the question still remains, to my knowledge, guys, that's never come out publicly who this group of scientists were. But I think Valet, probably because of having heard that, was inclined to believe that there were secret studies going on within the government, and he interpreted the Pentacle document as being further evidence of that. And in fact, Ruppelt also talked about a group of scientists that looked into the Lubbock lights. And if you read the report on unidentified flying objects at the end of the chapter on the Lubbock lights, he talks about a group of scientists, because of their connections with the military and the Air Force, had access to the real documents on this. And they were nuclear physicists and scientists, and they believed these things were from outer space. So, I mean, who was this group of scientists? I don't, to my knowledge, think that's ever come to light. 
Well, isn't that the whole issue, right? Every time this stuff comes up, oh, now we've got a brand new Pentagon investigation. And Gene, you pointed out this a number of times. They tend to forget all of this history of the subject that folks like yourself, Micah, and, and myself to some extent, you seem to be really caught up on it. But I mean, we know this. If the Russians or the Chinese or some other nation had some kind of advanced aircraft, I think we'd know about it, like maybe not we out here in the public. But I mean, think of the detection capabilities that the U.S. Department of Defense has. I mean, they've got satellites that are out past the moon that can look on the other side of the moon. Anything that goes on, they know what goes on. They know when Every single airplane lands and takes off on this planet. If another country had this stuff, they'd know. And they've been investigating this for years and years and years and years and years. But every time we try to get into where the people are who are doing the investigation, things get murky real fast. I was trying to figure out Elizondo's chain of command, where he comes in, who he reports to. And people just don't even want to talk about it. It seems like, well, why not? This is a string that if we can pull on this string, that chain of command has got to lead to where these people are and have been for years. There's no way that they've taken all of this information that they've got from all of their detection capability and just thrown it into some box in a corner somewhere where nobody looks at it. Yeah. Well, another fair question is, let's say it's our technology. Then why do we have a UAP task force to study it? Do we, do, <laughs> do, do we seriously, do we appropriate $22 million, even though that's just, you know, a, you know, a fly on the rear end of the world? But I mean, that was the appropriation for the original ADIP program. Well, you see, I mean, the reason that they did that is because they need to buy 30 toilet bowls. Yeah. No doubt. And that's what it costs, 30 toilet bowls, or they funnel the money elsewhere. I mean, the thing we have to look at now is we live at a time when we have an administration that will move funds around to areas in which they were not appropriated. $22 million is chump change. Apparently, most of it went, I guess, to Bob Bigelow, as was apparent from the statements at the time. But then again, this whole thing sounds interesting to the public, oh, they're finally investigating UFOs. Isn't that wonderful? But as we said before, what's been going on all these years? We'll find out. More to come with Gene, Randall, Micah. Micah, you haven't done it in a lot of years, so you're going to do it now. You're in the Paracast. <laughs> Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com.
Are you a business owner that needs a large supply of face masks? Do you have a large family and need a large supply of face masks? And want high quality but not high prices? Then you want sunny-bay.com. Our face masks are a better quality than Costco and lower price than Amazon. There's none better than sunny-bay.com. See for yourself. Go to sunny-bay.com and place your order today. Again, business owners, large families, and anyone who needs a large supply of quality disposable face masks. Click sunny-bay.com. Be sure and look for our volume discounts. Our high-quality cloth face masks are handmade in the USA. We also have N95 masks. See our quality, get details, and order at sunny-bay.com, a Biomed DB design company. Remember, volume discounts for large quantities at sunny-bay.com. Just click sunny-bay.com. Are you afraid to go to the mailbox because of letter after letter from the IRS? Are they stacking on more and more penalties and interest? By now, you know the problem won't go away on its own. Don't let the IRS chase you to your grave with penalties and interest and liens and levies. You need real help now. I'm Dan Pilla. I wrote the book on tax debt settlement, and I help thousands of people solve tax problems they thought couldn't be solved. I can help you too. Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to my website, danpilla.com. That's danpilla.com, danpilla.com. If you have diabetes and you're on Medicare, Medicaid, or have private insurance, you may qualify for a new continuous glucose monitor. Managing your diabetes is crucial to your health. The new CGM can automatically and easily help you manage your diabetes more effectively. And by using a CGM, you can eliminate the one thing most people with diabetes dislike the most, finger sticks. Now you can automatically manage your diabetes and end the painful finger sticks. Solara Medical Supplies makes it simple for you to have a new CGM. We'll do all the insurance paperwork for you and deliver the newest in diabetic care technology right to your door. Take charge of your diabetes today with the help of a new continuous glucose monitor. Call now to learn more. 800-547-5331. 800-547-5331. That's 800-547-5331. Would you like to get back that full head of hair from years past? Now, there is Reveal. Beverly Hills celebrity dermatologist Dr. Nathan Newman took nearly a decade to develop Reveal from natural botanicals to return to a full-body head of hair. Reveal for men and women with a 30-day money-back guarantee at GCNLife.com or toll-free 844-443-6637. 844-443-6637. Reveal at GCNLife.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Micah Hanks, Gene Steinberg, J. Randall Murphy. And we were talking about Pentacle, of course, but anything covering government programs with regard to UFOs. And then out of the blue, of course, the revelation about a new Pentagon UFO study. And you think, wait a minute, folks, what's been going on all these years? Thousands, millions of people have seen UFOs. We had Project Blue Book. Then we had silence except for a few mogul balloon stories about Roswell, but 
there's no information. It's all brand new. It never happened before. I guess we go back to the October surprise in the making. <laughs> well, yeah, we may get a surprise. But again, I think for a lot of people, all the coverage UFOs are getting has been a surprise. You know, I go out from time to time. And yes, I know this is hard to believe, but I actually have friends and I'll go out and I'll visit with them from time to time. I'm not always reading UFO books. Wait a minute. You have friends? Hold on. I, that's not, I know. I didn't mean to, to startle Eugene, but yeah, I wanted to drop that gently. But yeah. I met some friends for cocktails recently, and uh, they said, yeah, we heard something about, didn't the government say that there actually are UFOs or something like that? I mean, that's about the level of awareness most people who don't follow this sort of stuff have. Now, granted, most of my friends are at least up to speed on it because people who are around me, they're going to hear me talk about it. Uh, but, you know, it's interesting from time to time to visit with people who don't keep up with it and see what the general word on the street is. Did the did the Pentagon say they got some video or something? Well, who knows what that, that could be anything, you know? So it's not as impactful for them. And a lot of people had said, you know, when the Pentagon actually released their information about this, John Greenwald and I went on a, a very well-known late-night radio program and, and talked about the significance of the Pentagon release of these videos, which nobody else seemed to really pay attention to in this era of COVID-19 and everything. But I think the other side of that is that not only are people now kind of getting used to the idea of seeing stories about UFOs and major you know, papers of record like the New York Times, but they also don't think about this in terms of the history of this subject. And to them, they're like, okay, the, the government says there's some stuff. This could be ours. I don't know. I don't care. Pour me another one, you know? That's, I think, the, just about the level of engagement and interest that many people have. Now, there are also a lot of people who are fairly new to the subject. Grant Cameron has used this expression, the young guns, in reference to a lot of the younger new UFO researchers who operate mostly on social media, you know, Twitter, and they have blogs and things. Yet again, many of them, they act as though the beginning of the phenomenon coincided with the foundation of the To The Stars Academy and, you know, Tom DeLonge getting involved. And that's essentially where they and where their focus not only is, but has remained since around 2017, which is a little frustrating for me because, you know, I again, I've spoken about Lou Elizondo. I extend that to Chris Mellon and to Tom DeLonge and all the people who have been involved in bringing so much public attention to this over the last few years. But, you know, for a lot of us who have been doing this for a long time, guys, we're kind of like, welcome to the party. Glad, you know, fashionably late, but hey, at least you got here. You know, it's yeah. interesting about the To The Stars Academy. There's a story I read some years back saying it, it was like $45, $48 million in debt, according to an SEC filing. Wait a minute. What are they doing with all that money? What's it being spent on? They no longer have a public offering. If you go on the site, there's no longer a public offering. And you really have to dig into the site to know that it's about UFOs. It's not always obvious from the front. So I just wonder about that whole thing. Yeah, I just hope that, you know, like the ATIP money, maybe they aren't sending it to MUFON. I mean, with all the stuff MUFON's had going on right now. And I, I say that not to make a joke in poor taste, but I mean, we do have to actually acknowledge that when Bigelow was taking some of that money that was appropriated, like you pointed out, and that was being sent to MUFON, I, I would like to know what really came of that and what kind of information was gleaned in the furtherance of the Pentagon's own studies, not to be critical of the fact that the Pentagon is studying and that Bob Bigelow felt that MUFON, you know, again, one of the largest civilian investigative organizations in the world, not to say that that was a bad idea, but I mean, I would like to know seriously, 
what was the information that he gleaned uh, that was obtained with the funding that was going to move on at that time. And one of the reasons I really want to ask that question is because I've got friends who have been associated with that organization for years. At the time that Bigelow was funding MUFON, it wasn't secret. It came up on this program. I was talking about it. I was discussing it with many members of MUFON at the time. And I was asking them, what's up with Bob Bigelow's interest in MUFON and funding it? Why? What is the nature of this relationship? When James Carrion, who's also been on this show in the past, and he's a very interesting guy and also a very intelligent commentator on this, you know, his book, The Rosetta Deception, I think is, makes for some great reading about the history of this phenomenon. I've reached out to James a few times, and I don't get the impression he's terribly interested in talking about all this with people these days, although he does occasionally comment on it. Carrion, when he resigned from MUFON, you might say that some of the controversy associated with that organization actually goes back to him leaving. And when he left... He was saying, I was uncomfortable with the fact that we weren't told who was bankrolling us. Bigelow had been saying he wanted John Schusler to have a clearance. Why would he need a clearance if this wasn't money coming from government? And not like this is any kind of big revelation. I mean, there was an episode of Conspiracy Theory with Jesse, you know, Jesse the Governor Ventura. Yeah, they did an episode talking about all this. But of course, on the show, they speculated that the money might be coming from aliens. Extraterrestrials. <laughs> Whatever happened, oh, no. by the way, to Jesse Ventura? He was on the Paracast maybe eight years ago. And we had fun with him because first they said he can only stay for an hour. And then I asked him, would you mind staying a little longer? He said, well, you know, let's just see how it goes. And he went for the full show. Wow. But That's I haven't true. heard of him in a long time. No, he doesn't seem to be as involved. Uh, I wouldn't mind picking his brain, though. <laughs> see what the old guy's up to, huh? <laughs> To sum up on this a little bit, I mean, if we go back to when they first started looking into the, the phenomena and trying to figure out what it was, we're talking August 1948 when they wrote the estimate of the situation. The one that said, we think that these are interplanetary. That was 72 years ago. They've known for that long already that they're not from here. You know, why is it that everybody's going, well, well we're just investigating it now? We yeah. don't know, you know, are they real? Yeah, they're real. They're not coming from anywhere around here. We're not sure where, you know, interstellar seems to be the logical, most reasonable explanation, but we're not sure. But we've known for this long, like that's a long time. And yet it just seems like, oh, we're just finding out about it now. Yeah, it's a little odd. Boy, I really would love to see a copy of that estimate of the situation. Not that I think that it would necessarily be a tremendous benefit. It would be a novelty at this point, really, just to see what the estimate was and the rationale for why they believed that the most likely explanation was extraterrestrial. And of course, they caught so much flack from top brass, which resulted in the destruction of all these documents. But, you know, Ruppelt had described seeing one and other commentators. I mean, I'm sure there must have been Air Force men and women, presumably at that time, who probably came across a copy. It seems kind of it seems kind of strange to me that every single copy was actually destroyed because, I mean, if you look at the history of this phenomenon and all the documents that turn up from time to time. I was chatting with David Marler a couple of years ago. Man, it was funny because we were standing out on a windy street in the middle of Hewlett, Wyoming, which is as close as you get to traveling back to the 1890s. Okay. We're going to go back through time in our next segment to the 1890s. But first, with Gene, Randall, and Micah, you're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. 
Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Do you feel like many of us? All the distractions in the world taking our minds and focus off what really needs to get done day to day? Well, Jeunesse has a dietary supplement called Mind to help with mental distraction and it supports memory function. Go to GCNlife.com now to check it out. You're only at your best when your mind is at its best. Go to GCNlife.com or call toll free 844-443-6637. That's GCNlife.com or 844-443-6637. We've all seen and perhaps use the alcohol-based hand sanitizers. Have you noticed how it dries your skin and as soon as the alcohol evaporates, it's no longer effective? GCNteam.com has alcohol-free antibacterial soap and foam meeting or exceeding all requirements set forth by the United States Food and Drug Administration. Come to GCNteam.com keyword antibacterial or call 877-878-4203. USA Radio News with Wendy King. Congressional lawmakers have left Capitol Hill for the remainder of the August recess without a deal for the next COVID-19 relief package, which is expected to send another stimulus payment to most Americans. The House and Senate are now both on recess. House Democratic leaders and negotiators from the White House have worked this month to find a deal on another relief bill. Both chambers have crafted relief aid, but the two sides remain far apart on certain provisions. Unless negotiators reach an agreement, lawmakers will not return to Capitol Hill until September. The House is scheduled to return September 14th, and the Senate the second week of the month. Adding to the uncertainty are both parties' national nominating conventions, which will be held over the next two weeks. The Democrats will stage theirs next week, and the Republicans a week later. This is USA Radio News. The U.S. Postal Service sent dozens of states letters saying that some mail-in ballots may not be counted in time for the November election. It's a warning that further complicates the role of the USPS in the voting process. The Washington Post was the first to report that Thomas Marshall, General Counsel and Executive Vice President for the U.S. Postal Service, sent letters to 46 states and Washington, D.C. He told the states some ballots may not arrive in time to be counted. Los Angeles area officials lifted some evacuation orders as firefighters battled a 17,000-acre blaze amid what could be a record-breaking heat wave in Southern California. The California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection said the blaze, which started Wednesday, was only 12% contained. The fire was situated near Lake Hughes, an unincorporated community in Los Angeles County. So far, the wildfire has destroyed at least 21 structures. You're listening to USA Radio News. I spend a lot of time in the garage but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains, dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com. 
Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. Hey, this is Marie D. Jones, the author of This Book is from the Future, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. So is that what Make America Great Again means if we go back to the 1890s? That's political. I'm so sorry. Micah Hanks, go ahead. Uh, yeah. No, I was with Marler, though, and he was just talking about how he had acquired some old Blue Book files that, again, a, a Blue Book employee had apparently kept for all those years. And that uh, I think they ended up in a dumpster somewhere when somebody's house ended up being emptied out and somebody – found the documents and didn't really know what they were and was like, oh, you know, here's some old government documents. I mean, people do this all the time. Here's an old mirror. Here's an old stereo. Here's an old book. And they'll put stuff on eBay just to see who bites because they're rare collectors, you know, people who enjoy nostalgia or antiques or whatever. And, you know, they'll they'll dumpster dive and find whatever looks good and then pop it up on eBay after they've cleaned it off and sell it. And you can usually make some money doing that. Uh, David finds this box, I believe, if if I remember this correctly, he had found these online and actually bought some of the old Blue Book uh, documents. And again, David, he has such an incredible collection of files. I've never been to his house. He's, of course, invited me. And if I'm ever out west, I'll be certain to stop in. But, you know, it was depicted on television recently on the uh, unidentified program. So if you watch that show on History Channel, David Marler on the episode about the Triangle UFOs is there with Chris Mellon in uh, David's research room, and you can see it there. Uh, but yeah, he's got some of those files. So my point is, it's really interesting to me that that estimate of the situation, that a copy hasn't turned up over the years, that they were successful in destroying all of them. And I would really like to see a copy, but I don't know that it would necessarily further our knowledge about the phenomena after all these years. Well, I guess it depends on on how you define further our knowledge, right? It, because we still, for the new people out there, they're in in a state of well, you know, do we even know what they are? Are they real? I mean, people who have done the studying on it, we know they're real. They're not something imaginary. They're some kind of a craft that we don't know where they come from, and that makes them alien, regardless of where they come from. So we know that much. That is incredible in and of itself simply because we don't know the actual you know origin whether it's you know another planet or an alternate universe which seems less likely to me because while we know this universe exists we're not really sure about other ones yet we you know it's possible but we know this one exists speak for yourself randall (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah well i mean again i've kind of taken a new a renewed interest Now, I'm not saying that this is what I think UFOs are. I'm not endorsing this. I'm just saying it's an interesting conjecture. And if anything, I actually think too many conjectures in ufology. Personally, I think they can be damaging. And I try actually to always keep any conjectures or ideas about what the source may be at arm's length at all times. I mean, I study unidentified aerial phenomena or unidentified flying objects, whichever term flavor of the month you want to use but uap has become more popular and i do like it i I get a little pushback from some of the old guard who say you know no this this is annoying you know i I heard kevin randall mention recently that he's very annoyed by uh, everybody saying uap now but again one interpretation might be that these objects based on their propulsion dynamics whatever it is that they 
do to actually move through space that might not be flight as we know it, actual air lift as aircraft operate. So it might actually be better to say unexplained or unidentified aerial phenomena. Uh, that also would account for, you know, for some of the natural varieties, ball lightning, geophysical phenomena, earthquake lights and things. And I study all that stuff. That's one reason I like UAP. It's not explicit references to controlled aircraft as UFO seems to imply. And, and again, let's not forget that Rupelt introduced UFO because flying saucer was too specific. He wanted a more ambiguous term. So what's going to be less ambiguous than UAP when we have to change it again? That's a good question. <laughs> you know what? There is a forgotten Acronym, UAO, Unidentified Aerial Objects. That's what APRO used, one of the early UFO organizations. Yeah, the Lorenzans. Yeah, you got along great with them, too, I hear. Oh, terrific. Just so wonderful. (laughs) Now, Jim Lorenzen was a pussycat. Carl Lorenzen had something stuck somewhere that I can't explain because I had one interaction with her about whether I gave her proper permission for some photograph I ran in a small UFO magazine, which actually appeared in Fate magazine. And Fate had no problem with it. So I don't know what happened, except this went down in 1965. This ages me. I met the Lorenzans in 1975 in Fort Smith, Arkansas, at a UFO, UAO, UAP convention, or Flying Saucer Convention, and that's all she remembered from 10 years earlier about me. Oh, my. 10 years, I frankly had not thought anything about her at all. Nothing zilch. I mean, the organization, yes, but not her as a person. My, my. Live and let live, I say. Yeah. Live and let die. Or that. Yeah, that works, too. And, you know, and speaking of Fate Magazine, I need to check in on Phyllis, Phyllis Gall, because, uh, you know, she lives right over the, uh, the the mountain. She moved down here to North Carolina a couple of years ago. And so, you know, I, I check in on her from time to time. It's always good to, to do that. You know, again, as much as I love the history of this topic, and, of course, you know, any uh, night with Phyllis and reviewing the old files at the Fate Farm is, is you know, again, just going to be a delight. But, yeah. I love all that stuff. And as things change and as people are acting like this is all something very new, again, I can't – I'm not all that old. I mean, I'm like 37, right? But I, I've spent a lot of time reading about these subjects over the years, and I, I really take a passionate interest in the chronicling of the history. And, you know, I'm, I'm no Barry Greenwood. I'm no Jan Aldrich. I mean, there are a lot of guys, you know, who – Fran Ridge, you know, a lot of people who have done far more extensive work. You know, Thomas Tullian, you know, the entire UFO uh, historical – group, research group, you know, and, and I have to highly recommend the book uh, UFOs and Government, a Historical Inquiry that they produced. Powell and Swords actually led the charge on that, but there were a new number of co-authors, all of these guys, intimately involved in the chronicling of the history of the phenomena from a serious academic perspective, and so badly needed, because quite obviously most people who are even tangently studying this these days seem to have no knowledge or at least very little about the history of this topic. And if you really want to understand what it may be, what it may entail, where it may or, uh, originate from, we have to be able to understand the history. You know, that's interesting, too. So we have this story about this Pentagon UFO study. And you have all these organizations that have for many years followed the phenomenon. We even have the APRO files stuck in somebody's file cabinets in a garage somewhere. By the way, they will not let anyone see them to this very day, so far as I know. I know Chris O'Brien's been trying to find out about them. But we have all this amazing history 
all these sightings, many of which have still not been disclosed. And what's happening now is we're all going to think about this Pentagon study, especially if it brings pay dirt. If it's just buried down a black hole and we hear nothing about it, or they're still after it and they're on the case and don't worry about it, and it goes through multiple administrations. If there's no October surprise, if there's no disclosure, we'll forget about it. Or, conversely, if there is some kind of disclosure, if this does lead to something about UFOs, even then, nobody's going to remember the rest of us. Yeah. We'll be relics of history. We'll be forgotten. We'll be buried. It wouldn't be the first time. (laughs) You know? Speak for yourself. I just wonder wonder how many times... Uh, we're going to have to go through this 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 awakening process, you know. I, I hope, though, that if there's any anything close to a, rev- a resolution or a revolution would work as it relates to the UFO subject. I just hope that happens before the next uh, meteor strikes the Earth and destroys everything. When's that happening? I have to write this down. Yeah, I know. I've got it on my calendar, but it's in the other room. I uh, I got to check and and uh, check in on that. I know that right now. What what are we in the middle of? Is it the Perseids right now? Well, we're in the middle, possibly, of Armageddon. I mean, I remember all those movies in the 80s and 90s about what would happen in 2010, 2020, that we'd had, like, end-of-the-world experiences and everybody became zombies except for a few people. And we had, like, a movie, Escape from New York, with Kurt Russell. And I think, hey, somebody knew something. We'll find more. With Micah, Gene, and Randall, you're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Silver has always been nature's very own antibiotic, and only one system allows you to generate an endless supply of natural silver solutions. SilverLungs.com. You'll find no wild claims or pseudoscience, just a lifetime of nano-sized pure silver solutions. The Silver Lungs Generator allows you to make your own, so stop paying for silver solutions. The unique lung delivery system targets respiratory infections where other silver solutions simply cannot reach. See the Silver Lungs Generator and Lung Delivery System at SilverLungs.com. That's SilverLungs.com. Have you ever thought about turning your Glock, XD family, or 1911 handgun into a semi-automatic carbine? 
It only takes about 30 seconds. The MacTech carbine upper is classified as an accessory and can be delivered right to your doorstep with no FFL or background check required. It's the world's most versatile pistol accessory. Build your custom upper today. Simply go to handgunconversion.com. That's handgunconversion.com. Now with orders to stay at home, public health concerns, the reality of illness due to pathogens and viruses, your health is at an all-time high risk. That's why it's critical to take a proactive approach to boost your immune system. You can with new nano-colloidal silver from AmeriCare. Our patented process with tiny silver particles, one one-hundredth the size of a red blood cell, allows for maximum body absorption. AmeriCare's nano-colloidal silver effectively disinfects your body internally, attacking pathogens and viruses while supercharging your immune system. Colloidal silver is antibacterial and antiviral. Simply put, it prohibits bacterial respiration, suffocating viral cells, preventing the virus from replicating. And now, due to public health concern, AmeriCare is authorized to offer our lowest and best price ever, around a dollar a day. But supplies are limited. Purchase nanocolloidal silver now at immunesupportnow.com. That's immunesupportnow.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Supplies are limited. If you or a loved one is a survivor of abuse by Boy Scouts of America representatives as far back as the 1970s, we urge you to speak up. We'll stand with you and get you the help and financial compensation you deserve. A jury in Portland, for example, awarded $18.5 million in punitive damages in one Boy Scout sexual abuse case. The Boy Scouts of America filed for bankruptcy, and funds have been set aside to compensate those injured. Time is limited, and so are the funds. Call today. Don't wait. For free information on how to file your claim, call All Survivors Advocates right now. We have a long track record in helping our clients get the legal justice and compensation they deserve. Please, we are ready to help you. Call today. 800-364-2984-800-364-2984-800-364-2984. That's 800-364-2984. This is Be the Merciless. You are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio, exactly according to my plan. So think about it here. Think about all those movies and about the end of the world predictions. Think about Star Trek First Contact. In the middle of like 2050 or something, we have this crazed inventor and he invents warp drive and the rest of civilization has just gone to hell. And think, we're almost there now. Yeah, we're teetering on the brink. You know, it's funny. I watched the original Mad Max the other night. It's such an interesting film in hindsight, especially after that franchise, you know, got more out there and later installments was able to more convincingly convey this sort of futuristic kind of apocalyptic scenario the first film it's just kind of like you know they're driving around out in the desert you know in australia (laughs) still a good film though and and there were a lot of things about it that were enjoyable but you know what would it take to get us to that point you know it's funny because i've had this conversation with a number of people over the last few weeks where i kind of look at threat potentials and i think that this is an important way to look at a lot of things in the world and i actually include ufos in that subject group okay ufos we don't know where they're from what their actual full capabilities are as far as their maneuverability 
They have defensive capabilities that seem to preclude any need for use of overt offensive capabilities. If we look at Dave Fravor's description of his interaction with that so-called tic-tac, I think he'd said that he sort of coined that term, but actually Chad Underwood later said that he was the one that actually called it a tic-tac. One of those guys did, and they all described their interactions with this object and how quickly it was able to move and you know how formidable it was. You know, anything that is so capable of that kind of maneuverability obviously is a threat potential in terms of its unknown origin and its unknown capabilities, but capabilities which quite obviously exceed ours. Even if it's not an overt threat, it's certainly something that should be taken seriously as a potential concern. From a national security standpoint, I mean, I've really more and more over time begun to look at UFOs like that, even though, yet again, a review of the history doesn't show very much explicit connection between danger, death, anything like that. Now, some people would say, what about the Mantell incident? You know, it was even Ruppelt's opinion that the Mantell incident involved a skyhook balloon that Thomas Mantell had been pursuing. I know Fran Ridge had reopened that case a few years ago and that some researchers have actually said that there is actually good reason for questioning the skyhook balloon narrative. But let's also not forget that Ruppelt was a fairly skeptical guy. He was pretty skeptical of that incident. He was skeptical of the Lubbock Lights. Uh, and then in the second edition of his book, he came out and said, I really don't think there's anything to UFOs very much at all. And then he strangely died at what was it, age 36 or 37. So we'll be left for all time wondering what was with that about face, you know. Kehoe mentioned it in one of his books that they were pressuring him, the Air Force, pressuring him because of that original book, which had such a positive view of UFOs, and that he wrote the final three chapters under that pressure, whether it hastened his heart attack. I mean, he died at 37. Today, someone with a heart condition, no sweat. They take care of it. When people like Edward Ruppelt in the 1950s or even Bobby Darren, the famous entertainer, I think in the 70s, he died in his 30s of a congenital heart ailment. Again, these are things that could have been dealt with with our present technology, but not then. Based on what Kehoe said, and I see no reason to think that Kehoe was lying about it, Ruppelt was under a lot of pressure. That would make sense, yeah. And obviously they were pretty close, those two. There definitely seems to be a connection there. And I wouldn't have been surprised if that had been the main reason for Ruppelt's about face. Although, you know, going back and reading the second edition of the book, it, it makes for interesting reading. I mean, most of the versions that you can buy online nowadays are of that first edition because of the favorable light that it spins the UFO subject in. I actually was able to find a copy of the second edition. It's, it's interesting to compare and contrast. It really is. It is like reading two different books. It yeah. really is. I mean, it's the same writing style and everything. Yeah, but I mean, his tone just goes completely in the direction of dismissal. And at the end, he essentially says, you know, best I can tell. Remember how the first edition ends. He's saying, I suspect that with the advancements, you know, that we are looking at right now, and I'm not quoting, I'm paraphrasing, but he says, you know, in the next few years, I think our scientists and our military boys, we're going to be able to put a finger on this and figure out what this is. And he was hopeful that we would come to a resolution of the phenomenon, but that we couldn't identify all of these and that there were incidents that absolutely remained unexplained. And then in the next one, he's just like, oh, you know, this is all just a modern myth. It's a, it's a myth of the space age. There's, there's really nothing to this. You know, I've become increasingly convinced that 
you know, this is all just misperception and people's attitudes and things. And there are a, a number of things that culminate in what we call the study of UFOs, but none of them involve flying saucers. And I'm thinking, gosh, really? How is it that you, you say that now in light of what you said just a couple of years ago? Yeah, so was he actually an Air Force employee? He was still at the time that he died, wasn't he? I think at the point of the end of his life, he had gone back into civilian life. I'm not sure. I recall the words, four words, when asked about whether he thinks UFOs are real or spaceships. The four words in the book were, I'm positive they don't. Yes. Whether they exist or not. I'm positive they don't. And that, like I said, it was like reading two different books. I mean, he had yeah. more sightings and such. But again, it's like this big letdown. I mean, he's approaching it in a very fair way with a certain degree of skepticism. He laced into Ray Palmer, the Chicago publisher, about the Maury Island case. And Palmer was ballistic in those years. I think at one time threatened to sue Rupelt, but of course Rupelt was smart enough not to identify Palmer. Yeah. <laughs> in the connection there. Very interesting. When you return for the After the Paracast, I want to take all this and talk about whether we might actually be facing disclosure, but that's going to be for those who subscribe to the Paracast Plus. We'll let you hear Mike and talk about that. But as you see, there's so much rich history about UFOs. And I hope if nothing else happens from the CNN story and about other publications that will follow it up, and I haven't seen any follow-ups or anything else since we've been doing the show, that might change by the time you listeners hear it. I would hope that people will begin to think of all that stuff that has gone before and how it relates to what we have now. Because the UFOs didn't start with Tic Tac sightings. But that's the impression that's almost being created. And maybe all the other stuff, well, that's just a lot of nonsense. We shouldn't believe any of that. It's a lot of, we don't want to say the word because this is a family radio show. <laughs> we can't yeah. use those words. We have to use friendly Family words to say total nonsense. How's that? It's that's all a, good a bunch word. of malarkey. Yeah, it's all malarkey. malarkey. That's good. We can also do our thesaurus here and think <laughs> of all the words for nonsense. And then with after the paracast, we can say the words. So, Micah Hanks, for those who want to know more about what you're doing, give us a description. How do we find you? Yeah, let me give you a disclosure. Oops, darn, I thought it was after the Paracast, and we'll make sure we have some incredible disclosures for that after the Paracast segment, you guys. I'll make sure of that. But as far as where the general listenership can find me and my work, it's all available at one place, micahanks.com. I've got my blog there. All the podcasts are at micahanks.com forward slash podcast. Be sure and check out all that stuff. And, of course, you know people are welcome to reach out to me on Twitter at micahanks or info at, you guessed it, my name, micahanks. Dot com is the email. I'm always happy to hear from people. I can't respond to all the emails, but you know how it is. I'm almost as busy as Gene, so you know I, I get to as many as I can. Well, I have multiple email addresses. That's why. It's one of those <laughs> fearsome mistakes. You can find us on Twitter if you look for the Paracast. You can also find a pair of official Paracast fan club community group thingies. Can they patent that word group thingies on Facebook? Okay. And then we also have branded merchandise. If you go to the Paracast.shop, you can buy T-shirts and throw pillows and all that good stuff. Four different logos, including a couple designed by Randall. So they have to be great. 
That's the Paracast.shop. And then we have the Paracast Plus, where we offer the special gold standard version of this show, free of the network ads with enhanced audio. The F, the Paracast Podcast, a special extra show, uncensored. We never know what's going to happen next. And, of course, Michael will be back on that particular episode of After the Paracast to amplify the stuff here and bring out lots of other goodies. We also have some music from Randall. We'll be adding some classic radio shows from Bob Zanotti's Coffee Clutch that we'll talk about in the next few weeks featuring Gray Barker and Ivan T. Sanderson and a whole lot more. Go to theparacast.plus for more info, theparacast.plus. Micah Hanks, thanks for joining us on the Paracast. Always a pleasure. The Paracast, featuring Gene Steinberg, is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in... The Paracast. <laughs>